Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, getting better. I am Ben Hansen, joined by one Leo Vader. Hello. Just one today. Just one. We can only afford one because we're now drowning in guest stars. The, the greatest celebrities on the internet were joined once again by Serial Vasquez. Hello. Thanks Welcome back to the show. Are you done playing Advance Wars at this point in your life? Uh, yeah, I've I've fully transitioned into my uh, Zelda era, I guess. Oh, That's congratulations. That's how the kids would say it. Yeah, right on. Well, you're welcome here. Welcome back to the show. We're also joined... Well, first of all, before I even set this up, I should pre-set it up by saying... Oh, no. Um, sh- shut up, shut up, guest, shut up! <laughs> Is we're talking about, like, oh, you know, we got uh, Street Fighter Six. It's the big game this week. Who do we have to talk about it? Look, we can all run around in circles and be like, I pressed the kick button. It was fun. Uh, but then I thought, oh, who would be actually some smart people to bring on this podcast? And I was like, Serial Vasquez, baby, if that'll work. And Serial, I reached out and he said, yay, I shall join thee. And then I thought, that's pretty good. That's a lot of insight into one episode of a podcast. But how can we take it up another notch? And so I reached out to the king himself, Jason A. Striker. The king is here, apparently. Welcome. Welcome, sir. It's been a while. That's a hell of an entrance. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's true. Uh, I, it's it's also true. I press some kick buttons and it it feels pretty good. All so. right, all right. We're all gonna right. dive into all this stuff. Uh, if you don't know Jason's voice, first of all, what's wrong with you? Um, punish yeah. yourself. Go take a cold shower. Find some way of punishing yourself because you should know his voice. Uh, Jason Hitchcocker was at Game Informer. Game Informer, yeah, I guess for yeah. several years, <laughs> way back in the day. Way back in the day, yeah. That was my first job in the industry, as it were. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, 2011 through 2013. Sounds about right. Okay, great. Yes. So we worked together there, and then you're at Giant Bomb for a decade? Eight, almost, yeah, like eight, nine years or something like that. Yeah, that was a, that was a long run. Jesus Christ. A hell of a stint. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear your voice on a podcast again. You got Thank uh, you. interactive distra- distractions going on for your own podcast? Yeah, yeah, I've got that going on with some old buddies that I was doing before, actually, went to Game Informer. Really? Um, yeah, uh, so like that's 15 years that we've been doing that. Um, obviously, when I wasn't in... Uh, um, or when I was at Game Informer and at uh, Giant Bomb, I wasn't doing it then. But were they still um, going? Yeah, they were still going for a little while. Uh, but we've recently picked it back up again, just because you know what? It's fun to do. It turns out we like each other. It's pretty fun. Yep. Yeah, and we kept in contact with one another all throughout the time. It's it's, it's great. That sounds so sweet. It's going nice. home to old friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you've never met Leo, is this right? Yeah, that we've never met in person. Like I know him on Twitter. Um, and that's uh, I know Blumpo. I know Blumpo better than I know <laughs> well, We all know Blumpo intimately. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yep. What a weird thing. Yeah, because Leo. Okay, so here's the chronology of Game Four people. If so, somebody out there, if you're writing the book, just so we can get it all right. So it was Jason A's track. So I started in 2010 at Game Informer, and then Jason started in 2011, and then Jason left to go to the Greener Pastures at Giant Bomb. Then we brought in Wade Wojcik, who was there for several years. Yep. Then he left. Then Leo Vader was brought in. And then yep. that was that was that entire run, I guess. Then I left. Then Alex uh, Static. It's a it's a jumbled mess Alex's, after that. Yeah. I guess the Alex is an easier way to put it. Um, and oddly, I think Jason, Wade, Alex, and I all were there for three years. Oh, really? Around that's, three years. That's how I don't long. Know what that is edit- about the video editor position? It's they let us know ahead of time that that, that was the uh, the entire run we yeah. could do. So a classic contract <laughs> was, ending thing. Yeah. 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 It, uh, Jason, you didn't you apply the same time I did, right? Like, were we the two people like fighting for the first job? I think, um, I remember Andy 
McNamara said something on Twitter about like, hey, we need somebody that's got like web design skills or video editing skills or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this is this is my chance. And it just so happened that I was traveling to Minneapolis for my job at the time and like in a week or something like that. So I, I tweeted Andy and I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to talk about this? And, and he said, yeah. But at that time, um, you guys were looking for something that was more documentary style, which is, you know, Hanson's forte. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they went with you. And then I guess later on, they just gave me a call. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, we need to bring somebody else in. And thank God uh, they did. Because, like, um, I don't know. I, I am filled with shame just thinking back on, like, that era. Because, like, <laughs> you got a good read on it. Like, technically... I'm like bottom of the barrel. I'll know enough to get by and then just not yep. extend beyond that. So like building well, you out. You did great. You did great. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I fooled a lot of people. But then it was like that stressful thing of like building out the studio. You know, like during yep. my interview in 2010 with Andy, he's like, all right, all right. Well, you're looking pretty good. I just need yep. to know one thing. Can you build a full video studio? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and then yes. I was like, I would have been so effed if it wasn't for them bringing Jason on board who I remember I was always just amazed by you because I'd always ask, like, what is your ideal job here? Like, what is the role mm -hmm. you can have that will be the least stressful for you? And you're like, if I could just be sitting back tinkering with tech, like, that is my ideal spot. I was like, thank God, because that is the last thing I want to do <laughs> in my life. And so thank you for saving the overall Game Informer studio and making that whole thing possible. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we got the initial budget for it. We didn't have enough for a TriCaster, but damn it, we made it work. Yeah. It, it, it was funny so many years later trying to tweak that studio oh, yeah. working there with Hanson and asking how something worked. And he was like, yeah, Jason set that up. I don't know. Do your best to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like the, I, it's like the week you were leaving, Jason, I had you like walk around the studio and I recorded yep. you just walking through, like, here's how everything actually works. And I, for years would go back and listen to that recording whenever I get stuck on something technical. And I would feel so embarrassed. It was, it was literally oh, just no. me like going, what, what? And what's that cable back there? Mr. A striker. You're like, that's an HDMI. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like literally that, that dumb walking through this whole thing. But you know what? Somehow it all worked out just fine. Yep. Although I do remember trying to load up, oh, it was like the table, I think, like in the back of my van and just like that thing barely squeezing in by a millimeter trying to oh, get man. all those things in there as we're lugging this nonsense equipment around to try and build this place out. I, f I feel so bad about that table because I... <laughs> I put it together, I think, <laughs> yeah. and then I, I set it like top down to put the legs on or something like that, but there was a screw that was on the ground, and I remember moving it around, and it, it ground into the top of the table, so if you look at the table now, there's a big gouge, and that's my fault, and I'm admitting to that now. Yeah, so, I remember that uh, gouge for sure. Yeah. yeah, we wrote Jason on it and had a big arrow, so nice. you're always <laughs> with us no matter what. Also, Jason is uh, amazingly influential in ten ways, um, a big one being like, Man, Extra Life. I was just thinking this morning sure. about like you really got Game Informer rolling with Extra Life so early. Tried, Obviously, yeah. like streaming was, was definitely your thing where like that was back in the day where it's like, yeah, we streamed like the Guinness World Record attempts and stuff like that. But then you got there and you really were into this whole Justin TV thing. And I was like, eh, mm -hmm. that's kind of Jason's thing. Eh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but then like you were pushing Extra Life. And I think back about like, you know, when you left, then I really leaned into Extra Life, and like Tim was a huge part of that too, and a yeah, lot of other folks there. Great with that. Well, thank you. But I was just thinking, like, it must have been so frustrating for you because you were so into it. Like, I'm trying to remember, like, what my excuse was for, like, I'll come in for a couple hours and then yeah. check out the rest of the time. How did I pull that off without you getting pissy about it? Because I would be mad if I were you. 
Well, I certainly wasn't pissy, but I, I was just glad to have people there. And we we definitely had people there. We had a bunch of setups and stuff, so people could just kind of come in and game. It was, it was low stakes. So yeah. we didn't have a lot of, like, you know, scripted moments or anything or, or segments. Uh, so there wasn't, it, it, was, it was just more of a big hangout session uh, than anything. And we had people coming in and hanging out, and I was happy with that. Yeah, it was fun just to have, like, in the background, you could see a bunch of different people playing their games compared to us yep. for the background. It was just a green screen of don't eat more don't eat more it got a little more obnoxious yep. i think after you left if i'm being honest with you <laughs> auctions uh, and whatnot yes yeah uh well thank you for being here we have a ton to get through on this episode mainly just one game but i really want to dive deep into this sucker um which is of course street fighter 6 we're gonna be talking a little bit about friends versus friends which i'm very curious to hear leo talk about uh there's a game lego 2k drive which we've been meaning to talk about for three weeks now but uh, Serial, there's this other game called Zelda that's kind of consumed a lot of our time, yeah. but we're going to bring Jeff him in. He's going to talk about that. Um, also, Diablo 4 reviews are out there. Uh, looks like Blizzard pulled it off. Uh, seems like reviews are, are glowing for this thing so far. Um, we have not played yet. There's an opportunity to like, oh, you can you can have a review build of Diablo 4, but the progress will get nuked and it won't carry over into the game after it releases. And it's like, well, that... That doesn't seem great. I'll just wait uh, for the actual game here. So we have not spent a lot of time with Diablo 4 yet, but we'll probably talk about it in the future if people are feeling passionate about it. Um, Street Fighter 6. We got we to gotta talk about this thing. Um, all right, setting the scene. I've played a bit, but also I'm an idiot when it comes to fighting games, um, but I want to love them. And that's, my, that's where I'm starting for this discussion. Leo, where are you starting with this discussion? Um, I'm a few hours into World Tour and liking it a lot. I'm into the modern controls. I Ooh. I have played a fair bit with classic controls in previous fighting games, but I was very eager for a streamlining. Awesome. Okay, love it. Uh, Surreal, where are you at, man? Uh, I've been running around the... I've been running in circles and pressing the kick button. Uh-huh. Uh, mm. Hang on, do you I have like that, an old... My... Yeah, stop, stop. Do you have like a grandma clock behind you? What's happening back there? No, that's my that's my doorbell. I might actually have to... Oh, go answer your grandma come back. <laughs> all right go yeah. say hi to your grandma yeah. i'll be right back okay uh, and jason where are you at with three fighter six now i've been watching serial's videos about how he runs around and presses kick buttons <laughs> um, no I've, I've actually i beat world tour mode last night oh nice um i think we can talk about all of that yeah and uh a little bit in the training room of course but okay yeah i have a long-standing history with with street fighter for sure yeah fighting games your number one genre fair to say yeah, yeah, definitely. Street Fighter in particular has been like probably the most impactful game in my life or series. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, because nice. at Giant Bomb, I feel like it really got started of like, oh, this is a Jason game. This is a Jason game. And yep. I don't know, like I wouldn't connect it with fighting games. I would always connect it with what was that PS Vita Monster Hunter like game? God Eater. Yes. God Eater. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's yes. the Jason ass thing. Uh, but fighting games was the bread and butter. That was your passion. So thank you for, totally. for jumping on this thing. Um, while we wait for Serial to sign for six packages, Jason, high level. What do you think of Street Fighter Six, man? High level. Uh, this is this is great, and even low level as well. You know, Leo mentioned the modern controls. That's is something that Capcom is really trying to entice uh, new players and casual players with. And I think it's uh, I think it's a really good idea. You know, just to get as many people in there as possible. Street Fighter has a long legacy, and there's a lot of nostalgia built up around it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's easy to say, hey, you want to play some Street Fighter? But then, you know, when you sit down to play it, and you're playing against somebody that has a lot of experience, the game is maybe not so fun. Um, so once once they've modernized the controls and made it to where, like, special buttons, our special moves are on, like, one button or something yeah. like that. Or you try the dynamic controls, which are even 
more crazy, which you're just like hold down a button and you do combos. It does. It's like AI generated. It's, it's Weird. Uh, that is it's, that is the big thing with this game. And I'm trying to get a read on like you know where I'm at, where the general community is at. Like Serial, I would imagine there's the holdouts who are angry about them like streamlining the controls as an option in Street Fighter Six. <laughs> but has it just has the rest of the game been so impressive for just like the budget and the effort that Capcom's putting into it that the community isn't too angry about them giving a baby option for controls here yeah i don't i i haven't seen like a ton of like actual ire of like how dare they do this because i i think a lot of people are kind of they like street fighter is kind of on a back foot in a lot of ways because of street fighter 5 like not having a great reception at launch and then kind of slowly getting better but people kind of forget up forgot about it by then so there's this kind of feeling in the Street Fighter community of like, do anything you can to like bring this franchise back to right, where it was, right? right? Whether that's like a mode that is more uh, about bringing in new people, like the the World Tour stuff, or these controls that are like, just get to the part where you're making decisions and you're not like, oh, I tried to do a sure you can, but I couldn't pull one off, right? Which is like, I think a lot of people's initial barrier, right? So you're just making the decision to like, I'm going to uppercut here and then it just happens, right? So I, I think that in, in terms of like competition, I'm sure there, that there will be like one or two tournaments early on where they're like, oh, so the person who was using the modern controls won and it like, does that make it unfair? But I think most of the like the best players are confident enough that the degree of control that you have with the classic stuff is going to outweigh the kind of ease of use for yeah. certain characters. And I, and I think there's a certain st like stigma kind of attached to it as well, uh, where if you're in a tournament or something like that, you know, you might sit up a little bit more if you're playing against somebody with body controls because you don't want to lose. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not to show this guy the modern controls. Yeah, it, it took me a while to uh, learn the modern controls, which I know seems strange, but like my path was... I uh, I brought the old fight sticks over to my friend Ronnie's house, who, like, I mean, we've been playing Smash Brothers, quote-unquote, competitively against each other for 25 years. So we always have, like, this... Cyril, you remember. It's, like, this feeling mm -hmm. of, like, we want to get into fighting games because we love playing each other 1v1 in Smash. And we've tried so many fighting games that we're always like, we're going to take this one seriously. Like, it's just been a long line of, like, yeah, but this one, though. This one we're going to take seriously. And we always fall off. But... Went over there to play Street Fighter 6, had a blast where we both had the sticks and stuff, but we're like, oh, we got to go classic controls. We got the fight sticks. That's absurd. So, like, learned the game a little bit that way. And then it wasn't until last night that I came home and they're like, okay, I should learn this with a controller. And then actually playing with modern controls there, it's like, this is so much simpler than I thought it would be. I mean, it's like, it's simpler than Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh, just for like, I don't know, just press a triangle and circle and then a direction and you're pretty good it's if you just like smash be... brothers right like yeah, where it's yeah. like you, you basically have the b button where it's like if you move this in a direction and press the press the special move button you'll get a special move and it doesn't and like everything else is kind of predetermined for you and so i think it works really well in like saying like hey when when you're ready to kind of finesse the controls a little bit more the classic controls are there but for now like it it almost works better as like a teaching tool to say like hey just worry about this move set for now and then once you're like, oh, I, I'm starting to feel the limits of what this can do, then you transition to classic controls. So, so it works as like, and by the time you make that transition, you're like, okay, I know how to use the tools I already have. I know when to uppercut and when to right. fireball. I just want a little bit more control over like which move I'm using, right? Okay, dumb question. There just aren't kicks unless it's in a combo with minor controls? Quite possibly. Yeah. You, so like in traditional Street Fighter, you've got, you know, three punches, you've got three kicks. 
um, modern controls, you have, you have a light, medium, and a hard, and that could be punches or kicks. Okay. So you're actually losing out on moves if you're using modern controls. You're losing normals, uh, but you still have all access to all your specials. Um, so once you go to classic, then you get access to all your punches and all your kicks and yeah. you're crouching, you're jumping. Right. And I'm not, I'm not sure how the modern controls handle things like certain characters will have, like if you press forward and medium kick, they'll do like an overhead kick versus an overhead, a normal yeah. kick. Yeah. So I don't know how they handle those kind of unique attacks, but I think, yeah, I, I and that's the kind of the thing that you're losing is the bit like Chun-Li has like three different like hard punches or like uh, strong punches depending on whether you're moving forward and back and pressing heavy punch uh and like i i imagine that like modern loses some of that finesse and that's yep. what you'd want to use um and so like when you're ready to say like i want to use like the her back and heavy punch which is i think a thing that can kind of uh push p- people back and stuff or like the forward and heavy punch which has this really long range then i think that's when you're ready to make the transition to classic controls but at the at at the beginning, just like, yeah, you want to use the fireball, you want to use the spinning bird kick, that, like, modern controls is the way to go. Uh, Serial, we missed your high-level take. What's, what's your what's your assessment of Street Fighter Six so far overall? It's, it's been really interesting because, like, as someone who, like, has always, like, has basically played these games pretty regularly, uh, the, the groundswell around this game has been, it feels like, I think... Street Fighter Six is like maybe ten to fifteen percent better than five uh, in the in like the fighting system stuff where it like where Street Fighter Five is now at the end of its life cycle. I think Street Fighter Six is like 15 percent better than that. Better than that, yeah. But huh. as a product, it is magnitudes better because it has all of these like accommodations for everyone who was kind of pissed at Street Fighter Five not having enough to do, and this feels like it's creating like. You know, with the Battle Hub, it's it's sort of like a Guilty Gear lobby thing where you're you're seeing people walk around, but there's more to it than in a Guilty Gear lobby where you can play like Street Fighter Two Turbo in one of the cabinets right, and stuff, right. um, and you can kind of see people's like monstrosities that they've made in the character <laughs> creator. And there's like oh, things like, stuff, oh, man. oh <laughs> they make a whole show out of it where it's like, hey, if someone's doing really well in your lobby, there will be a thing that says like, this person's on a winning streak and it'll show. So you're yeah. like motivated to play and keep playing. Right. Um, and so like, I haven't had a ton of time with the online um, because they had a period where like for three days you can play online. And then after that, you're kind of on your own. Um, but yeah, like just, just talking about this game and, and like, seeing people online it it just seems like capcom has really triumphed in the marketing of this game more so than like even the design which i think that the, like the fact that this game is ahead of where street fighter 5 is now is is pretty like good because most games most live service games tend to like regress right where it's like oh this game doesn't have as much features as like this fully fleshed out game that we've been supporting for years so the fact that street fighter 5 is really only lacking in characters compared to 5 uh, it's really, really impressive. So, like, I'm looking forward to like seeing another surge of interest in Street Fighter, and that seems what's like what's going on. Yeah, Street, Street Fighter is traditionally the measuring stick when it comes to fighting games, and as Serio mentioned, you know, the five was a step back in, as far as features was yeah. concerned. Um, but yeah, this is this is making up for it. They they really wanted to do it, uh, make good, um, and they've really improved the you know the fighting mechanics um as well like every tentpole street fighter has had like some sort of standout like mechanic like you know street fighter 3 had parries uh focus attacks in four or whatever uh this has the drive impact uh which actually manages like 
six different things. It's, it, it's a meter that, you know, it controls your parries, it controls your drive impact or your rushes, all this stuff. Um, so it's it's got layers on layers and a lot of depth. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of pro players that were playing during like the open beta um, say that they're having fun, which <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that can't which be is right. amazing. Yeah, because to, to, normally they're just like all business. And um, just to hear them say, wow, this is a lot of fun is is it fills my heart. Yeah, and I, I think they, they definitely uh, listen to the feedback about Five's initial kind of simplicity where you d it didn't seem like you have a ton of options. And I actually, the more I play it, the more it kind of does remind me of Mortal Kombat 11, where you have, like, the automated meter, right? Like, you, you're constantly building meter, but you have so many things that that meter can do, like... Mm so many uses for that meter so like you have drive cancels where you can cancel any move into a dash and like extend combos that way or you have the drive attack uh which is like a focus attack or you have like a drive parry um so like the kind of interesting decisions come from like okay you have all this meter what are you gonna like how are you gonna use it right yeah. and there are all these things pulling for like this is the thing you should use your meter on um because like ex attacks also drain that meter right so you That's can do stuff whenever you want it's just a matter of like, okay, you have like six bars of meters. What are you going to do with them versus, okay, wait for your meter to build up. And then you can do the one thing that the meter lets you do. Yeah. The, uh, I, so the idea of pros having fun with it, I'm still, what is that? What, what do you think is clicking for them? Yeah. What like is that? that? <laughs> uh, it's the mental stack. I think, um, you know, there's, there's so much going on and that's the, the system allows for so much expression. I think, you know, it, it'll it'll cater to people that want to rush down or, you know, want to play defensively and just throw out drive impacts or whatever. Uh, it it's it suits a lot of different people. It, it it caters to a lot of things. Yeah. And I, I think the character variety is also there. I think. Yeah, that, I, I think when you have this many kind of system level things that any character can do, there's this like uh, kind of potential for the game to feel very flat where like, oh, the best option is to do all the systems heavy stuff and not your character specific options. But so far, like it feels like they've, they've definitely like doubled down on like character individuality. Like Ken has, they basically imported his, his like uh, V system from five into, and they just made it part of his move set where he has this like uh, dash where his feet light on fire and that powers up all of his attacks. Or like Honda has a thing where his hundred hand slaps can get powered up. Um, or like Lily has this thing, this like system where she can power. She's basically T Hawk, um, yeah. but she has this like wind system where she builds up these charges and that powers up her attacks and stuff. Um, so every character feels like they have this subsystem um, that like gives them that individuality. And like there's characters like Dalsim who are always going to be like very unique and expressive. Um, so like they they've they found a really good balance between giving every character defensive and offensive options, but also making them unique. Yeah, uh, I definitely gravitated towards Lily right when I saw her in the character screen. I'm like, all right, that seems like my type of fighter. I like that. Just the only character with weapons, and then she just charges up wind and basically becomes just Crash Bandicoot out there. Like, that seems great. Yeah. That sounds like a fun character to just throw in the mixer. Uh, Leo, yeah, I've been using Lily a lot. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, because I like those kind of characters that are not purely grapplers, but they have the the big throw like move to rely on. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and so, like... I, I like also that this game has character guides that feel more in depth than like, here's what the moves do, figure it out. You know, like they have actual suggestions for like, hey, this big uh, throw move you have doesn't have a lot of range. So you what you should do is do what's called a tick throw where you kind of check your opponent's guard by using like one or two light attacks to make sure that they're blocking. And then 
you kind of leave a little bit of a gap and then you throw them right so that like they're blocking they're expecting another attack and then you throw them um so like the, the the fact that the game tells you like hey here's a good strategy and like it's a it's like a starter fundamentals thing uh i think works really well to just say like hey here's the how and not just the what i yeah. the character guides i mean that is the story of this game so far is just taking to the menu to be like oh they have this they have this they have this they have these tutorials they are really trying their best to get you in the door and like yeah. oh there's also just like an arcade mode if you want to just fight through like a standard you know fighting game campaign with any character that's that's wild that that is just kind of a little bit buried in there compared to world tour now but the character guides i was really excited i'm like oh this can be a great way to learn lily but i was kind of disappointed that it's not like here's it's not hands-on, but the part I'm confused by in, in the UI, it says try and then has like a down button. But that, am I out of my mind? That's your you, touchpad. Yeah. Yeah. I think but I, I, there's I thought a, I was trying I, it. I was playing it on a, I think my, my, my hitbox that I was using ha, is read as a 360 controller, uh, Xbox controller. So I was using the back button, I guess. Um, so it depends on what controller you have, but there is a, there is a, a way to kind of like as you're seeing the lesson happen you can kind of try out the command it's not as Wait. thorough as i would want because they're like oh you can do this in this situation and then when you go to try it it just says here's how you do the move okay um but i like just reading it as an instructional thing of going into the try button and just doing other stuff and just trying to figure out okay that gave me that, that gives me an idea to do this and just kind of kind of mess around in training mode for a little bit and then continue with the lesson i think is is pretty uh smart of them yeah uh, Leo, give me your journey, man. Give me your journey through this game. What hit the you? Casual's journey. That's right, little boy. <clears throat> um, made a little baby character, the <laughs> shortest possible character, who looks like a really sad baby, and their Perfect. name is Baby. And so whenever anybody challenges me, I have a pouty face, and it's like, you know, why would you try and fight why a baby? Why would you fight a baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that gives like kind of a moral advantage for me. <laughs> but I really am digging the world tour and how it like is really trying to give. Street Fighter a strong identity not that yeah. it didn't have it before but in a way that's like really perceptible to the layman to people who like aren't playing it it's the characters have so much personality the way they're like texting you and all these conversations you're having it's you know genuinely funny genuinely surprising stuff and you know Street Fighter you can now fight anyone on the street and it's like fun and rewarding to do to do these little bonus objectives of like oh if you throw them three times you'll get bonus money that stuff feels great and is really fun to just grind up. It's such a funny idea of just running around the street, literally running around like Metro City, basically New York City, and then you can just fight anybody. Like I was really amazed about it early on. Like, all right, go talk to the guy who's selling food. He'll sell, he'll teach you how to use items and stuff. And you can go up to him or you can just threaten to fight the shopkeeper. And then Amito's <laughs> like, all right, game on. And everyone's just ready to fight at just a moment's notice throughout the entire city. It's such a weird idea. Bystanders sure. start gathering. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the story so far has been like pretty bad. I think it's like pretty like not even there. It's, you're trying to build purses for people, and like there's like this whole like international travel aspect to it. Yeah, it's um, it's a little ridiculous, but I I think it's kind of charming and quirky yeah. in, in that respect. Like yeah, there, there was some influence from like Yakuza, I think. In, yeah, yeah, yep. designing I, this for sure. I, I respect this as like a mode that is trying to use the fighting mechanics to tell like a story and actually get people to actually engage with the mechanics versus something like Mortal Kombat story modes, which I really like, but it just feels like the fighting is just kind of there as a incidental thing. And then right. you're really just here to watch like an, uh, a movie that is interspersed with fighting. So this feels like they're actually trying to turn street fighter into like an open world game, which I think is, is like, 
more more of an interesting approach and i hope to see other developers do something like it yeah it's and just gleefully being like separate from the super professional online 1v1 like having gear with stat effects i didn't realize going in like oh i can just go to the shop and buy something that'll make me like recover drive faster yeah there's a part of me that kind of I appreciate the effort put into this, and I think it's really cool, obviously, to see them put this level of production in Street Fighter Six. But in terms of just like single player stuff, it's like I think I'd still prefer kind of like the Mortal Kombat strategy. Like I will play through a Mortal Kombat story and have a blast, and it's just a good silly time. It almost feels like, pardon me, feels almost like a Telltale game at times of just like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cutscenes and a lot of story, but you know what? I'm on board just for this comic book experience. Whereas this one, it's like it's so cool the production going into it, but at the same time, like. I'm building out my custom character and it feels like such a different game in a lot of ways than I would be playing if I was just 1v1ing that I feel like, am I hurting my abilities in this game by getting more embedded into this custom kind of side mode, even though it's more blown up that like how much of that skill is going to transfer if I go back to trying to play as Lily, you know, because there's even stuff where like you'll parry the right attack by a character or whatever, or special attack them out of this like cooldown they have after an attack and then you have like this big long time to follow up yeah right it like like, does this big shatter and you have like five seconds to do whatever you want to them and that's like not present in the rest of the game right yeah and and you're like fighting multiple people at once and the the controls are a little like different um but i i like that it does a little bit emphasize things that you would want to do in the normal game so like the thing that leo mentioned where uh, opponents have like this white border that comes around their character after they do certain attacks that's just encouraging you to to punish certain attacks so if someone does a sweep that's usually when their thing lights up so those are punishable in the actual game in that if ryu sweeps you and you block it you want to punish him for it yeah. right and so like they're kind of slyly encouraging you to like think about the game that way yeah, um but more kind of brilliant yeah yeah and so like but more importantly like i think if the thing you get out of this mode is uh I want to play more Street Fighter. That's exactly what they want versus yeah. like, oh, I understand the in-depth mechanics of it is. And then you can make that transition when you need to. Right. You can cross that bridge when you get there. Like the important part is uh, that you want to play more Street Fighter and like whether the rules are different or like there are going to be some kind of ways that you have to adapt once you you know start playing online that that'll happen eventually. But as long as you want to play Street Fighter, I think that's the important part. Yeah. yeah, it's like getting people in the door, like Overwatch 2's rich PvE hero mode is going to. It's exactly, it the, same. Later exactly the same. That's right. Can't wait. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. Like, you know, I have kind of a spotty history of Street Fighter, but I've been playing a lot more. Like, I have like a, you know, main machine and so I'm playing a lot of Street Fighter and Marvel's Capcom and stuff out there. And so it's nice. made me a little more attached to these characters and stuff. But like, I just think of somebody like you, Jason, I'm like, are you filled with glee like in that world tour mode when it's like now we're gonna go see what chun Li's doing and she's just like <laughs> training people on the streets is it just fun to see like oh my old friends like look at this level of production for these guys it's wild this, this is certainly like the most personality that they've given those characters yeah you know, traditionally you, you know, you've only got like an, an intro and, and an outro when you're done with arcade mode um in five they they had a kind of a story mode but it it, it wasn't really a, it was bad. a good show. yeah it was pretty bad uh, but yeah, this one, you know, and I think Cheryl said it, you know, they're texting you and uh, you're you're getting a little bit more flavor than you normally would. So, yeah. And combined with the, the rest of the, the quirky quaintness of 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 that whole mode, it's it's been pretty fun. It's yeah, I like it. Yeah, and so- along the lines of kind of like tricking you into playing more, it's cool that yeah. you're training under specific characters and right. you're gradually getting their moves. So it's mm-hmm. like. 
it's progression, but you're also learning this character. So suddenly you're going to like be able to play as them when you want to. Yeah. yeah just the style for this game. Like I, I'm so happy to hear that the high level crew is also enjoying this game. Cause like, I think from just my perspective and the idiot's perspective, like, you know, my idiot friend, Ronnie and I, like when we're playing this game, it's like, God, this thing, it, it has such a great vibe to it. And them just leaning all in and like, we're, this is just a hip hop style throughout all of street fighter six. And it's like, I think it works having just like the rap songs and the menus and stuff. Like, yes, this is such a coherent vision. And then like, it blew my mind. I was watching Red Bull had like a little making of thing. And the art director for Street Fighter VI, uh, it's Fujioka, who I am confused about how this happened. I'd love to interview him about it. I don't think it'll happen, but I'd love to. Um, because he was the director of like the first four Monster Hunter games. And the couple times that I went to Capcom with Game Informer for the Monster Hunter cover stories, he was the executive producer of Monster Hunter. He was like, nice. you know, top of the heap. He was like the high level executive interviewer or like interviewee. So it just blows my mind that for Street Fighter Six, like that is the level of talent they're pulling from inside Capcom. Is like we're pulling all these legends down just to become the art director for Street Fighter Six again. So it just goes to show like how much of a push this is within that company. And it's, I feel like you know Capcom's been on a hot streak for the last what, six years or so? Um, yep. Maybe since Monster Hunter World is a good starting point, maybe. Um, but then it just feels like this is such a good example of just like them giving the level of care and polish that every other franchise deserves. You know, like everybody dreams of their pet franchise getting this level of production that Capcom's like, all right, Street Fighter, we're going to give you one big last go and let's just see how it goes. So, But it makes me kind of scared because like if this doesn't sell well, uh, yeah. do we just have I, I imagine it'll sell super well. I yeah, so. I feel like the RE Engine Capcom era has been really strong. Uh, just because, like, even that engine is just like it feels like the only competitor to Unreal at this point. But Cap, it's it's like you just see it so often, but it's all Capcom, right? It's like, oh man, this engine, this engine is really good. And then it's like, oh, that's just Capcom's engine that they use for everything, and all of their games look really good now. Right, right. Uh, and like they've, I feel like they, there maybe is some kind of coalescing around that engine to say like okay now we've smoothed out the, our production pipeline and now we can make games of this quality pretty regularly right so they have the remake team they have the the new resident evil team they have i'm guessing I'm, i imagine they're making another monster hunter and now they have like they've managed to kind of uh roll street fighter into that so like it just seems like they have you know they have everything figured out in terms of how they want to work and so everything from that allows them to kind of have all these ideas and actually implement them yeah more easily they have a janitor in a closet working on Mega Man. i mean they're going all out with everything yeah. they got i think yeah i i feel like maybe the one thing that i will ding this game for is that i think some of the character models can be inconsistent like from character to character so like the characters that i'm playing i I, I've been, I'm playing Honda, Jury, and Lily, and all those characters look great. I love how like all their supers and stuff look, and like uh, their character models look good. I kind of think Ryu looks a little janky. I think huh. something about the lighting and his beard in this game look really like it feels like a step down from those other characters. It's a, it's that wide body. It's it's <laughs> you're not used to it. Kind of valid, more yeah. polygons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like i feel like from a character to character basis the game can look like significantly better or some to some degree worse um but i feel like on the whole like the, these characters look really good yeah. uh which is which is what you want out of a fighting game yeah jason what's um what's your path through this thing what is the last thing you've learned like okay just walk me through like you get a new fighting game franchise you know well mm. 
your favorite genre. Like, do you just go right into training mode and then tell me about your arc and now where you're at for like appreciation level here? Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I usually start off in, in training mode uh, or if there's like a character guide of some sort, maybe combo trials or something like that. If okay. I've, uh, uh, got a grasp of like their normal moves. I usually focus on, on normals before I even try special moves um, just to find out what kind of pokes they have, uh, anti-airs and whatnot. Um, yeah, from there we go into special moves and then from there we eventually fight real people because that's oh. where you're going to learn the most, I think. Um, uh, not only that, but you know, in training mode, it should be mentioned that this is probably the most robust training mode that they've, they've put out. Uh, they've got like frame counters and stuff uh, James Chen, who's a big uh, fighting game personality, put out a 20 minute video uh, for just like one function of the training room. What? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they've really gone in depth with it. But uh, um, uh, yeah, they give you a lot of tools to, uh, to get you up and running. But uh, uh, I normally save the story stuff for last. You know, it's, it's yeah. the least intriguing to me uh, traditionally. Um, but with this world tour mode, I, I was very anxious to check that out. And, you know, we got a little taste of it during the, uh, one of the betas. Um, so I was eager to play, play more of that. Um, and, and it's been, yeah, pretty satisfying. Yeah. And the story mode pays off in a big way, I think. No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I've, I've heard that it's like 20 hours or it so. Is, yeah. It's about 20 hours. Yeah. So it, I feel like 20 hours of what I'm getting feels like I'll, I'm probably good at the halfway point. Um, but I like the, the like the, the I like the progression stuff more than the story. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think maybe if if you like if you like the story mode, I think my biggest tip when if you're trying to make the transition to like playing the rest of the game, I think is just go online, find someone that and and don't be afraid to just get your ass kicked a lot. But think okay. of, like learn how to lose well. I guess is like my tip because it, it, it's rather than like, oh, I lost, like I need to do everything I can to, to win the next round and kind of brute forcing whatever you can there. I think it's important to like, okay, I'm going to go into battle like with one goal in mind. It, it, maybe it's like to do this combo or like punish a Shuryuken. And if you get that thing off, it doesn't matter whether you win the round or not. Right. Uh, and just kind of, cause like some of my favorite sets are sets where like, I'm clearly playing against someone who is better than me, but over the course of like 10 matches of me getting my ass kicked i i get like the one win and i'm like okay that is that is significant progress <laughs> i have become a better player over the course of this round and it feels so good to finally win someone who is who is to some degree kind enough to just like whoop you for 10 rounds and not move on to like okay this is boring this guy's this guy sucks i'm gonna move on for someone to give you that amount of time with them that you actually learn how like all their tells and stuff to beat them that that to me is like the most fun thing you can do in fighting games versus like oh i went into this lobby where people were way worse than me and i just like beat everybody up and got like a 10 uh win streak that can happen later but like yeah. i think having fun while you're losing is like the best uh kind of way to learn okay serial help us you tried to coach us for dragon ball fighters uh with ronnie and i at the house and it, it Improved our great game tenfold. I need your advice for this thing. Like, should we just learn to play with controllers and go modern controls? Or you think yeah. like, okay, we should. So we I shouldn't think, be I, like, I, oh, we should. We have the sticks. We should use them. And we should try and be like real cool Street it's, Fighter guys here. Play with whatever makes you most, most comfortable. I think and now yeah. like the, the kind, uh, it's kind of been proven out that like uh, arcade sticks might be like the worst uh, kind of way to learn fighting games because like hitboxes are more accurate in controllers uh are better on your hands uh so 
I, it's whatever you feel most comfortable with. If you're if you're able to better pull off the moves with a controller than like on a fight stick, yeah, then go with a controller and like whatever uh makes like whatever it gets you to play more of the game. And then like from there, just learn like find like what Jason said. It's like find the normal moves that feel good to do or like you get the most like consistent results out of, and just kind of play with those. Don't worry about combos. Just like when when you see someone sweep you what is the best move that you can punish with and that's slowly how you learn how to do better um and then you know then check out the character guides and see like okay here's all the stuff that your character can right, do. right right and then go from there all right love it leo you're gonna stick with this thing play more of the world tour for sure and since i already have it you know my friends are gonna get obsessed with it and i will totally join them for a few rounds uh wait street fighter six any other final thoughts on this thing it's good it's good. I, I'm really, really happy with it. Uh, online, in particular, which can make or break uh, a fighting game title, uh, is, is spectacular. So, yeah, and th- them launching with crossplay and like yep. pretty good netcode is like both of those things. This is like you, it doesn't matter what system you get the game on; you can just play with whoever. I think it's going to be huge for this game. That's yep, sweet. Totally. All right, uh, let me know how it goes out there, everybody. You can jump in the Minmax Discord if you need a community to help you learn how to play a, a fighting game because. I, I know there's so many tutorials in here and it's great that they're in there, but there's also a part of me that's kind of scared by them. Like every time I go through those, it's like, I, I can comprehend 25% of this at any time. I just need yep. to comb yeah. through it again and again and again. Another tip is don't do those all at once. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Kind of do the basics and then like kind of play around with the character. And then when you're like, I want to see if there's a tutorial to figure out how to do this thing. Right, And right. then you can see that. And like for combos, it's like, do maybe like five of those. And if there's one that really... Like you feel like you can do really well, then practice that one over and over until you can do it consistently, and yeah. then like maybe check out another one. So, but don't cram those because then yeah. then you forget half of what they teach you. Right, right, right. Uh, hey, Leo. Hey, man. If people love their friends and people love fighting, what game should they check out this week, dude? <laughs> Definitely not Street Fighter. That Mm-mm. won't do it for you. Uh, friends versus Friends is a game I didn't know about until you said we have a code for it. And I said, this looks like a, up my alley. <laughs> it's a card-based first-person shooter focused on 1v1s and 2v2s. And it's rocketed. It's going to be in my top three of the year for whoa, sure. I've whoa. been doing nothing but playing it the past few days. Leo was so excited the camera shook as he said that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Jesus Christ. All right. What, um, God, why am I blanking on that card-based first-person shooter from last year? The speedrunning one. Neon White. Oh, Neon White. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it too easy to say it's a PvP version, version of Neon White? Yeah. Okay. That's too easy. And it's not accurate, and so we should not say that on a podcast. You're basically lying by saying that. Right, right, right. So what is it? Because those ingredients, man, I, I'm skeptical about that idea of, like, card-based, first-person shooter, 2v2, but trust us, it's on another level. <clears throat> well, the cards, like any deck builder you go into, it's an intimidating amount of cards at first. But within a few rounds, you get a grasp of what everything is doing, and you start to see how they combo together. With the basic deck, you'll have, like, make their head big, make my head small, That's and you get good. the appeal of that right away. You can eat, shoot their head easier. It's harder for them to shoot your head. But then you combine big head with sniper, and now you can get headshots from across the map easier. Or you combine big head with this one called mind blower, which for a split second pops their brain out of the top of their head, and if you hit their <laughs> brain, it does a ton of extra damage. Wow. And then you combine those two with slow motion, so you have extra time to shoot their brain. 
but it's not too overpowered because it's so rare you'll actually get that combo. And more often you're like trying to figure out the best combo with what you have and realizing like this is not comboing with anything. I need to get this out of my deck and find a new replacement. I honestly think this is a great like first deck builder for people. Building decks oh, is so fast and so straightforward and it is just a really fun dressing on top of the shooting that you don't need to have any deck building experience. That's absurd. Uh, so you've been playing this with friends then? Because it has 1v1 as well? Yes. And yeah, it's only $6 for the launch week. So like all my friends got it. So we've been doing nothing but private matches, which oh, that it's great fun. that a game called Friends vs. Friends, you get currency and XP for playing private matches against your friends. But that's like unprecedented. I don't feel like that's ever been allowed before. Yeah, it is less really than the main... Verboten. Yeah, it's less than them doing it regular, but it is still a decent amount, and you still get enough to buy packs, which you can't buy with real currency. You can only buy with in-game currency. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so Raw Fury is the publisher here and the developer. Um, of course, they're called... Where is... Did I have it written down? Uh, Brainwash Gang. They're like a, a Spanish development team. That's awesome that it could come completely out of the blue for you and hit you so hard. Yeah, for sure. It, it's got that that magic that Siege had in my heyday with that, where it's just like every match feels super different. Every round feels super different. Yeah. That's and sweet. I'm still discovering new combos all the time. There's one that's like a uh, nuke, which if they've laid down a bunch of turrets and you're like, I don't want to deal with those turrets, you can nuke the whole map and suddenly you're on this different map for the rest of the round. That's just like this bombed out zone with all this <laughs> rubble you're going behind. So you're like, I don't have an advantage here. Let me nuke the map and get this, get like higher accuracy so I can take these guys out from further on this like open plane. That's super And there's, there's a card combo in this game that I instantly wrote down for best moment of the year. Yeah, that right, I laid on us. No, why hide it? People are going to forget by December. Are you nuts? People should play this game and find it. All right. Take your guess. Uh, yeah, so it's on Steam right now. Only you said six bucks for launch week. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it's coming to consoles, I guess, later this year. But Friends versus Friends is the name of that one. Um, Leah, how are you feeling about Summer Game Fest stuff? I'm excited. Uh, I might not be able to get into the Summer Games Fest live show and see it live, but I'll put my ear to the wall and judge it that way. Leo. Yeah. Can, can I send an email? Have we talked about this enough? Are you sure that you just missed the opportunity to get in there? I guess it's kind of low priority for me. I feel like we've got a lot of other like really fun preview opportunities lined up that Janet's okay. been doing an awesome job coordinating. And that stuff's going to be a bigger draw for me than yeah. seeing the thing that's going to be streamed. Don't you want to see Jeff Keeley from like 200 yards away though, man? Smell him? Yeah, well, my scope. Oh, yeah, you'll be able to run him. up and hug him on stage. Yeah, you make his brain yeah. pop out of the top of his head. It'll be sweet. I can wait backstage. Uh, yeah, so just for a full uh, rundown of what we're doing. So uh, Leo and Sarah are going out to L.A., meeting Jenna Garcia out there. And there's the whole Jeff Keeley Summer Game Fest event, which is happening on Thursday at 2 p.m. Central. We'll be streaming a reaction from back home for that whole thing. But then also there's a bunch of preview opportunities that are kind of surrounding L.A. in this window as the pseudo E3 thing. And so it, you guys are just going to be hopping around, going to a bunch of previews and press conferences type things and that sounds good yeah and vlogging vlogging yeah we'll have a whole travelogue showing off their entire trip including a separate travelogue because we hit our goal on patreon where they're going to be going to uh super nintendo world and uh making a whole video about that whole thing uh but let's see shows at uh summer game fest just to give you this rundown so we got thursday summer game fest the keely big thing also thursday then at 5 p.m central is the devolver direct those are always fun 
Uh, then Saturday, June 10th is the Future Games show. Saturday, June 10th, the whole Games Direct. Then Sunday, the next big one, that is uh, Sunday at noon central, is the Xbox Games and the Starfield uh, presentation that's happening that Sunday. And then Monday at 12 p.m. central is Ubisoft's big show. And then Thursday, June 15th, is the Yakuza stream, which is happening at 10 p.m. Central. So that's going to be interesting if that's going to be our first big glimpse of gameplay from Like a Dragon 8. I'm not sure. But, uh, so that's roughly the roadmap. We'll be streaming our reactions to Summer Game Fest for Xbox, for Ubisoft, and maybe some other ones. We'll see how everybody's feeling, and we'll see if uh, I need to check out and have a baby somewhere in the middle of that. It's going to be a fun time. Um, sweet. Uh, Leo, anything else you want to say, man? Uh, I'm serious. It's good. I'm not joking around here. I know I, sometimes I get excited about games and then we all forget about them in a week. Right, right, right. Friends, something special. All right. Sweet. Thanks, Leo. Bye. Bye. Jeff Markyafava, ladies and gentlemen. Look at all these people. Hey, uh, do you Where remember are we? Jason Eastaker? Is... Uh, it's 2012. You're back in the Game Informer office, except Serial's okay. there before he started. It's a confusing uh, time warp. Mm-hmm. Hey, Very young. Hey, look, it's Jason Eastaker, Jeff. He, there he is. There, there he is. is. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we just had this conversation off air. Now it's, it's shut up. There is no off eat. air. Claps are magic. Oh, of, oh, of course. That's right. <laughs> uh, Jason, give me number one fava memory of Game Informer. Go. What do you oh, got? Oh, his constant scowl. Like the forlorn <laughs> look of, of fava. It, it was something that brightened my day yes. every day. What do, you, what do you think it was? And fava, you can weigh in on this if you want eventually. But what do you think it was that made Jeff Lim scowl for years <laughs> straight? <laughs> A lot of it was Dan Reichert. Yeah. Uh, okay. That was that was a big big part of it. That is um, true. Yeah, and I think it just permeated. Like it was probably just Dan. I'm sure Fava liked yeah. everybody else besides him. Uh, I think I was getting on his nerves a fair bit of time as well. Is, okay. it, is it weird, Jeff, to like think of Game Informer? I don't know how you look back on it, but I don't know. Probably like, hey, those are some really good years in my life. But then everyone else was like, Jeff, I'm just seemed miserable and annoyed <laughs> for decades over there. Yeah. No, I'm used to it, and. It's it's really it's like ninety percent the eyebrows I think yep. it's just big eyebrows and they always kind of look like I'm angry. But um, but so I think, I've had to work on that. I I, don't th- I think it was beyond look. I think you were genuinely annoyed because you're the type of guy. It's like I would try and and bug you a little bit and razz you, and, but I'm like at well, his yeah, heart when of hearts. You came up, I was annoyed. Obviously, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like at his heart of hearts, he loves me. We're good buddies. But then every once in a while, it's like I'd scratch that lottery ticket and be like. No, no, there's there's annoyance all the way down. There's no, like, secret heart of gold for a lot of these interactions going on here. I, I will say that as someone who sat across from Jeffem yeah. uh, for, for a large portion of that of my time there, uh, there I've before I kind of got to know everyone, there was this constant feeling of, like, when I was trying to set up, like, my standing desk and move my stuff around, there was this feeling of, like, this guy must think I'm an idiot. Like, is he, <laughs> is, is he looking at me thinking, like, this, what is he doing? Uh, but eventually, like eventually, uh, you know, I got, I got to know Jeff and better, but it's like, there was definitely like this intimidating, like, uh, I don't know, like, am I going to fit in here? And like, Jeff kind of was like that conduit of like the person who I'm kind of like getting glances at pretty regularly and like right. not being able to read anything about his face was like, is he judging me right now? My God, I hope God, I'm doing is, well. This yeah. is so informative. We uh, tried to tell you. No, you know what is informative for me, Jeff? We loved you dearly. Um, but what what helped me a lot is like my first year at Game Informer when Annette Gonzalez was there because like you two had like a rapport and a back and forth. It's like okay, he's a big softy. He puts up like a jokey mean front, but I got it. And then Annette left, and then your heart turned to ice as far as I could tell. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, I, 
yeah, I, I, like I said, I've, I've been aware of the eyebrows. I know that the eyebrows are a thing because yeah. my wife, when we first started dating, she was like, I always look very serious. Um, and I, th- I think something about my natural tone also makes me, I've, I've had to work on a lot of these things, uh, with my family. Ooh. But it came it came from like as a kid, I think being middle child, uh there's just like I guess an innate aggression or something in the way that I aggression. talk or I just I seem an, I seem annoyed or I come off as as very blunt or something. Um and it's you know, it's something that I'm I haven't always been conscious what um, um can you compare I think it's endearing. It yeah. is endearing. It is I mean what, once you know me, right? Yeah. Then it, yeah. I think Hopefully. if you polled everybody at Game Informer, like who do you have the least problem with? Jeff would be at the top of everybody's stack. I feel like for everybody in that office back in the day. Do you think is it like a I'm interested in like the family dynamics for no particular reason, but like you being annoyed at like Dan Rankard for being obnoxious or me for being obnoxious in the office. Like, do, do you find similar vibes for, like, you now literally dealing with a toddler of just like, just stop it. Will you just knock it off? Or do you feel like it's, oh. it's night and day, your reactions to those or two worlds? do you think dealing with Dan and Ben has prepared you Ooh. for dealing with annoying children? The secret mission. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, Dan basically is a big toddler, except he should know better mm-hmm. is the difference. So with my kid, at least when he's being annoying, I can say, okay, he's two and a half. He hasn't figured it out yet. Um, but Dan just has no excuse. Right. Yeah. Right. That's smart. Uh, that's why Jason is really fun to start min-max and like, you know, talking with like, all right, Suriel and Kyle, they seem to like podcasting. And then like talking to Jeffum. And like, I was really surprised that Jeffum's like, yeah, I want to do this kind of a more personality based thing. I'm all in. I was like, Jeffum, I love having you here. You've been such a huge boost to all things min-max. But if you would have told me 10 years ago that Jeffum, would be starring like on a Jeff more personality and personality. No, but what? like, no, <laughs> not that you didn't have a personality, but it's a level of just oh. like leaning into it for the online world. I felt like that was just you being like, I don't, I don't want to do that. You guys can have your silly joke parties for replay. I'll jump in every once in a while, but it's not, I'm not getting any fulfillment out of it. it seemed to be the vibe yeah, from back that, in the day, you know, because there's, I mean, at the game informer offers, there was definitely like a small contingent of people who were harder to get on podcasts yes right yep. that they were more hesitant to kind of like i just want to come in here and do the job and then like this thing where i have to talk on a podcast is like not for me uh, i mean i yeah i always wanted to do the podcast that was just like i was always very busy with whatever writing assignments i had and yeah. so i would have loved to do more replays and all of those kind of like that always seemed like the fun part of the job. And yeah. I was reading like feedback emails <laughs> and losing my mind and having a big scowl because of it. Probably. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Hey Jeff and welcome. Uh, you want to talk about Lego games? Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lego 2k drive. This <laughs> is that open world racing game that we've been meaning to talk about for several weeks at this point. I went to a preview event, uh, months ago to play like the first three hours of this game. I haven't had time to go check out the real game yet, but you've been playing the the real game, right? Yeah, I've been I've been playing the real game. Okay, and then Jason, have you dabbled at all in this thing? Just dabbled, yeah. Dabbled. Chief, I was taking up yep most of my time. I got but it. And Serial, I, 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 I got a pretty good grasp, I think. Okay, Serial, you're familiar with what Legos are? I, yes, I've I've built them. You put them together, mm-hmm. and it's like, how do they work? How how did I just build this plane? I don't how know. do I get them apart? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the main thing. I left them on the floor, and so my mom stepped on them, and she yelled at me for leaving oh, all my Legos, and she's threatened them to take them away. Mm-hmm. So I put them all in the little Lego bucket that I have, and I 
hold them very dearly. That sounds sweet. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of Lego 2K Drive? Um, Take your time. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like the kind of game that you would... Uh, take a trip to go do a preview event for, and then when you get back, you don't even bother to play anymore. Really? Because, man, based on that preview trip, I was like, I, I like it. Like, I'm a sucker for, like, Forza Horizon and kind of just, like, a more kid-friendly version of that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm on board for that. I mean, is it not just that? I, yeah, I mean, I guess to some extent. it. I I always hesitate, and I was thinking this as I was playing it, and was like, don't fall in the trap of saying, yeah, I mean, it's good for a Lego's kids game. Right, and, right, right. And I, I always, I always dislike like, okay, let's just all lower our expectations much lower because just stupid kids are going to play it. It, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to drive through stuff and have Legos blow up and, and, you know, fly all over right. um, as you're driving. And it feels like that was 90% of the design doc for this game. Sure. And it looks good doing it as well. It does. It does look yeah. good. Uh, Jason, you have an okay time with this thing? Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, uh, it's been a little slight, uh, and it's been very yeah focused on you know like children's attention span. I think yeah, um, which is perfect for me. I, I yeah, I went through a few few races. The humor isn't landing with me, but I do like that uh, your pit crew are monkeys. That does yes. seem fun. Although yeah. they're Un- the ones then monkey that are- the monkey. Yes. Yeah, monkey the monkey. But they're they're the ones that have the garage, right? Which is where all the microtransactions are hiding. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Okay, I, I guess this they've there's we talked about it in the preview. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of stuff that they try and uh, get you to pay for in this game if you want cool parts and funky cars and stuff like that. But uh, did you play with your kid, Jason? No, uh, no. I I told him about it, but he's he's really not much of a Lego kid. He's oh, really? more of a yeah. He's he's into kids horror games and I'll talk about that later. But really? yeah, um, I, I I think that to to uh, what Jeff was saying about like lowering our standards for kids. If anything, I feel like the standard for entertaining a child is so much higher now yeah. because it's like if you don't want if you don't like if you're not instantly pulled into something like Lego Drive, you've got Fortnite, you have Roblox, you have like online youtube videos so like if anything these like we should raise our expectations for like can you entertain a child versus like oh if the game is not up to par then it's like whatever it's for kids right don't 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 expect too much out of it yeah so i feel like i feel like we should just invert those expectations of of what we assign like what is appropriate for a child i guess i I just think of like you know it's not fair not having played the finished game here but i I was just thinking like man like my nephew he Forza Horizon 5 blew his mind when I was showing him that game. And, like, the opportunity to, like, give, like, a six-year-old a version of that that's a little more friendly and easy and you can build your own cars and stuff. It's like, this seems like such a slam dunk. And it it controls fine. I mean, I think Disney Speedstorm, strangely enough, controlled better and stuff. But, like, it's not going to disgust you with the physics of this racing game or whatnot. But... All right, Jeff. I'm so so. I, I agree. I agree. It's not going to disgust you. Um, <laughs> you can put that on the back of the box. Wow, I, I'm I, I did. By this. I did mess. I did mess around with the, um, you know, car building like actual Lego part of it. And yeah, it, that is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It that that works pretty well. It's sometimes a little harder than you might expect to like line up where the bricks go. But like, I built a goofy looking little car, and then you can instantly take it out and drive around in that and. So the building part is there a little bit, um, but 
I don't know. Part of it for me is just I think I'd rather play an open world Lego game where I'm just doing a lot more building than kind of a mm. knockoff game that feels more like a kart racer. But if I'm going to play a kart racer, I'd probably rather just play Mario Kart. Right. And, just feels so much sure. better. You know. Yeah. All right. Hey, Lego 2K Drive, everybody. Run, don't walk to your game store and pick it up now. Uh, hey, uh, Serial, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, you press core, uh, quarter circle yeah, forward yes. and Patreon. That's right. That's right, everybody. Patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Check out that URL. There's a reason that we say it all the time. We just want you to at least look at it. Just find a tier that's right for you. You find a tier that's sustainable for you, and that's what keeps this whole independent operation sustainable. So thanks to everybody who supports the show and locks the benefit for the show. As a thank you to everybody who supports the show and unlocks the benefit for the show, we have a, we have a giveaway, which... It's that level of dumb giveaway that I'm excited about, but let me know if I'm out of my mind for this one. Uh, we have a, you know, a Yeti cooler, Jeffum? Those big, cool, tough coolers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what if it was a Ghostbusters-themed Yeti cooler? Whoa. What if? Can that you imagine such amazing. a world? Imagine that they ship one for free to your house, everybody. So here's how it works. Uh, this is in honor of, first of all, apparently Ghostbusters Day is coming up June 8th. So it's an honor of that. Then also Ilphonic's Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. They have DLC dropping, so they partnered with Yeti to make a Ghostbusters cooler, everybody. This big honking Ghostbusters cooler. Here's how you can win this. It's going to be pretty easy. Your odds will be pretty good. Leave a review for the MinMax show on your favorite podcast app. Leave a review. You can leave a one-star review. I might not be the biggest fan of it. You can leave whatever review you want. I'm not telling you what to write. But leave a review for the MinMax show and include in that review some way to contact you. Could be an email if you're bold. Otherwise, Twitter handle is a great way to go. Discord name is a great way to go. Leave some way to contact you. We'll randomize whoever, like all the people who left a review in this time span. And then that uh, person, that very lucky person, will win an Ecto-1 Cooler, thanks to Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. So, odds are high. Leave a review. Thanks for spreading the word about Minmax. Um, hey, Jason, have you ever heard Yo. of something called HelloFresh? HelloFresh, yeah. They, they make uh, food and send it to you. That's right. You make it. You know, yeah. you might know it as America's number one meal kit. Uh, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Uh, yeah, I, I am so excited every time they say, hey, HelloFresh, signed up for more ads on the podcast. Like, they're going to send a bunch more food to our house. And I am so excited. Literally. They're literally feeding you. They're literally feeding me and my family. Whenever I open up that door and there's just a box of good food on my front door step, uh, unbelievable. I'm so excited about HelloFresh. Uh, they want you to know that flavor is in full bloom at HelloFresh. Enjoy the taste of spring with chef-graded recipes featuring ripe seasonal ingredients delivered right to your door. HelloFresh does more than just delicious dinners as well. Not only can you pick from more than 40 weekly recipes, but you can choose from over 100 items to round out your order, from snacks and easy lunches to desserts and pantry necessities. Everything arrives in one box on a day on a delivery day that you get to choose. So here's what you can do. You can go to hellofresh.com slash minmax16. Use code minmax16 for 16 free meals plus shipping. Shipped right to your house, Jeffum. Hellofresh.com slash minmax16. Use the code minmax16 for 16 free meals plus shipping. Help support them. They've supported us in a big, bad way. So thank you to HelloFresh. You know, it's America's number one uh, meal kit. Also, thank you to our dear friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about the Red Lantern vinyl soundtrack. Remember this game, Serial, that uh, dog mushing game? Ashley Birch was the main character in it. 
Vaguely, yes, but okay. remind me. Well, I'll tell you, it's a dog mushing game where Ashley Birch is the main character. But the soundtrack is quite good. It has music by uh, Harishikesh Hereway, and you can get the vinyl soundtrack at IM8Bit's wonderful online store. Go check it out because you can use the promo code National Donut Day. No space, National Donut Day for 10% off everything under $100 in IM8Bit's wonderful online store. Support them because they support us in a big, bad way. They ship out a prize to somebody in the community each and every week. It's a nice physical prize each and every week. If you support us on Patreon, you can submit a question. We read all these questions. We choose our absolute favorite, and that person wins a prize from IM8Bit. Uh, so, Jason, you need to remember every single question that's submitted here because we need to choose the number one option. You got it. And then they get a copy of the Manifold, oh, just Manifold Garden on Switch. IM8Bit will ship that out to their house. All right, ready for these? Okay, Shoot. let's do it. Here we go. Tanner Hoisington wrote in, what's your game of the year pick that got snubbed that still haunts you to this day? Tanner wants to know. Jason, most uh, of my games. No, no, not most yeah. of my games. I, I had pretty good luck yeah. like, picking stuff, I think, when I was at Giant Bomb. But there was certainly a game here and there that I would get heartbroken over. First one that comes to mind is like Luigi's Mansion 3. 3 didn't make the cut? 3 didn't make the cut. Ooh. And I, I only had Vinny in my corner. And he even apologized to me later. He was like, you know, I wish we would have fought for it a little bit more. Just, you know, I'm with you. You know, it's a good game. But yeah. and I'm like, don't you guys like fun? Like, it, it looks beautiful. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's charming. It's, it's Luigi's Mansion. Uh, but it didn't make the top 10. I, I always felt like heart. in those discussions, you had like so much respect that like if you just like called your shot, like I'm going to throw all my weight behind these two games, I think they would do pretty well generally. I feel like, you know, Gersman and Vinny respect you enough to be like, all right, well, we got to have some Jason Mojo on this list somewhere. So you did there's, all right. There's definitely some times when I almost lost Monster Hunter. Uh, oh. Yeah. And that, that, I'd get very angry. <laughs> I'm like, this is my number one game. And you guys are talking about, they're trying to like barter with me and stuff. It's like, well, if we move Monster Hunter down, we can bring this up. Right, uh, right, right. And I'm like, no, please don't do this to me. Were, were the Giant Bomb Game of the Year discussions a lot more stressful than Game Informers just because of the yeah, yeah. recording uh, aspect? Absolutely, yeah. Because you're confined in this really tiny room and there's like eight, nine people in there and it's hot and it's, you know, topics get heated and stuff and you know when when anger flares uh it, it resonates throughout everybody <laughs> yeah you always so get hung was, up on things you don't intense. expect to right yeah. yeah yeah yep it's like i have to go to bat for this like i remember i don't it's just weird of like yeah the things that you when you're in that group and you realize like oh god it's up to me like i think a big one was psychonauts too where it's like i love double fine i love double fine's documentaries I've enjoyed Double Fine's games. But like Second Eyes 2 is a game I enjoyed, but it wasn't one that I was like head over heels about. But then everyone was tearing it down to that game of the year meeting. It's like, no, no, Second Eyes 2 deserves better than this, everybody. We gotta just keep this in the running at least. It's like the moment of realizing that this thing you were taking for granted is now up for debate. Yes. I, Mm. I remember the thing I'm most proud of in terms of like arguments that I won at Game Informer was when we were doing the like top 100 RPGs. Oh God. And I, and I argued that castlevania symphony of the night deserved to be on the list because of its rpg elements and how it infused those into metroidvania and i was like oh, yeah we should we should talk about uh symphony of the night right that's like, a cool rpg that people like and like that's not an rpg and i had to make that case oh, for boy. like why it belonged on the list oh, God. and that was a case where it's like i i taught i made my points people were like oh that makes sense all right Oof. and then it's like that, that was like the rare time when people were like 
uh well i think this should go on instead right like it was like this weird thing of like okay i actually made uh, an argument that people liked and I, there wasn't a big fight about it so i feel like i was <laughs> very convincing but it's like yeah, going, into the, going into that discussion i wasn't like i'm ready to go to back for symphony of the nightmare camp right like, right, I right. Have my points prepared it's like that was so impromptu that i didn't even feel like that was a fight that i was gonna have but also man you were in a lucky spot everyone was lucky except for me so i'm trying to say no but you're in a lucky spot because like you you're such a systems guy and so, like, if you were hmm. arguing for something in the game of the year debates, like, you could just go down a rabbit hole talking about the systems of this fighting game. And, like, no one can touch you on that. Like, you're <laughs> unimpeachable. Whereas if I was, like, I like this story in this game and that character was really nice. People would be, like, shut it's, up. Like, everyone could have an opinion on that. Not everyone could have an opinion <laughs> on high-level systems you like you can. You definitely had negative influence, Hanson. If, so, if yes, you brought up I know. a game, people were, like... Oh, oh, Hanson. Is a Hanson-esque game? Absolutely that would happen. Believe it or not, that would drive me up a wall. It, to me, it felt like, for me, I was just, I was talking people to, it was like a war of attrition of, like, I don't know how much of this they're actually retaining versus, like, okay, well, he talked for five minutes, so that's yep. significant, at least, if nothing else. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, think- there were there were definitely, like, serial spots on that list where yes. people would just be, like, whatever oh, oh fighting fighting games came out this year okay just we'll 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 talk Here's to Cyril later he'll give us his pick spot, and, yeah. right right yeah. guilty gear yeah yeah we all agree guilty gear is the best all right put it on the list here we go <laughs> yeah but i think it was also like a little chip on my shoulder and, and jason's too cool of a guy to have a chip on his shoulder but like i think it's always that angle of like i feel like it was always debatable like should the video guys even be here like they don't really review games you know and like jason you eventually reviewed like a street fighter four i think yeah right? ultra yeah I think. yeah yeah but for a while there it is just that feeling of like i already feel like i'm out of place being in this meeting so every every ding in an argument just hurts so bad because yeah. <laughs> i feel like they're just gonna That's escort true. me out you know um yeah. i i was horrified recently uh serial we did a stream where we played all of resident evil 3 remake um from mm. the studio and going through that game again it's like I, I think that game's a blast. I have such a good time with that game. I played through it twice now, which I know is not huge for a short Resident Evil game. But like I really love the game. Then I went back and looked at our two tens for 2020. I'm like, not on the list in 2020. Like I'm still angry about that. And I remember I think you were in the camp of like kind of being a little more negative on it than most. And so I was I was angry thinking yeah. of that list that year again. Yeah, I think th- I would be curious to go back to that game because I definitely I feel like I did give it short shrift. Um, but I think my initial impression of it was that it was like a little short and not it didn't feel like it iterated on the on on the two remake enough. Right. Right. Uh, but but even just like finding out that I guess there's some like research that says that those two games were meant to come out in the same package that oh, it was really? supposed to be Resident Evil two and three was supposed to be like the thing that was like their project and then they eventually at some point split it. Um, I don't know if that's kind of made me think, oh, okay, the fact that this is less substantial is okay. But now that it's like you can get it for like $5 or whatever on sale, yeah, probably, I, I think if I played it now, it would probably be more into it. I think so. Um, it's, it's wild to think of like, yeah, we all love Resident Evil 2 Remake, but like, and they came out like within a year of each other. And it is one of those things of like, if they just delayed this for one year, would people have been more positive? Because when Resident Evil 2, it was so good and was so fresh in people's minds, like it just, it just hurt it. It's not... It's not fair, yeah. Right, man. I think they relied a little too much on like the replayability aspect of those games, yeah, to kind of carry the a lot of the the kind of length arguments. Um, but yeah, I I I'd be curious to go back to that game. Yeah, but my but, my kind of personal like thing is that Dishonored has very rarely gotten any 
recognition for game of the year stuff. Cause I think hmm. in 2012, it was my game of the year and it felt like no one was talking about it in the conversation for game of the year. Cause it was like walking uh, dead XCOM and yeah, like mass effect three. Mass effect three. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, listening to stuff like the giant bomb awards, it was just like, I have no horse in this race. Cause my horse already lost. Like <laughs> I think Patrick Klepek brought up uh, dishonored as like, I really like these games, but I don't know if this one, and I like that to me was the, like, you don't understand these games are incredible. <laughs> like this is, these are the only immersive sims that people are making right now. And this is one of the best ever. I don't understand why people aren't going to bat for these games. Right. And like even dishonored two, which came in 2016 was like felt like uh, it felt like everyone quietly acknowledged like oh this is an incredible game i can't believe they pulled it off let's not ever mention it in terms of like game of the year <laughs> stuff because overwatch came out and so that's just gonna win unanimously right right yeah that's fair jeff does one come to your mind no no i can't think of it can't think oh of is it just a shadow mortar uh no what what was that year that's 2014 was Dragon Age Inquisition. What did we give it to instead? A Dragon Age Inquisition. Okay, we can we can count that one. Okay, <laughs> all right. You seem angry about it. I was thinking about that year too because I was also like, I think that was the year of Smash on Wii U, and also Stick of Truth came out that year. And I'm like, I think both those games are way better than <laughs> those two games, but you know that's fine. Uh, Ryan McGinnis writes in and says, "Howdy, y'all. Uh, I'm super excited to get into Street Fighter VI. I'm not bad at fighting games, but I'm not great." Before playing Street Fighter VI, I've decided to go all in on Dalsim. I always hated playing as him and against him. Uh, I find him slow and annoying and yoga, yoga, yoga. That's right. Uh, but in the quest to become a better player and understand the game deeper, I'm going dolls to the walls, Ryan says. Dolls to the walls. Uh, what's a game or a game character you forced yourself to play in order to understand the game better? Fighting games are a really good example of that, and mm -hmm. you just know that you know you want to learn you know what this character can do because they're constantly kicking your butt. Um, I did that with uh, with Rose in Street Fighter Four. Mm. A friend of mine uh, said that she was garbage, and I'm like, no, she looks she looks fine. Uh, turns out she wasn't that great, but I ended up really really liking her and and maining her for for a number of years. Um, just to prove the point. Just to prove the point, and just to see what he was talking about, and yeah. Uh, do I never you, got to beat him with her, but do you think everyone's so yeah. into tier lists and all this stuff? I mean, yeah. is it fair to say for a lot of people jumping into these games, like, don't worry about it? The idea of like, oh, this yeah. character's trash, like it it's balanced enough in this day and age, whereas a game like Street Fighter Six, no character is going to be bad. It's yeah. it's fun discourse, I guess, but it's it's really ridiculous. It's yeah. it's almost theoretical and like not relevant until you yeah. get to the point where like if unless you are going into a match and like the there's a thousand dollars on the line or whatever. Don't worry about tier lists. Just worry about who is the character that you like the most because at the level that most people are playing at, the the player skill factor is more important than like the fact that this character wins the matchup. Yeah. Uh so it's like just yeah, just play whoever. But I, I do as I've gotten as I've played more and more fighting games, I always tend to gravitate for like what is what are the most weird one-off characters that almost don't represent the game as like a way to almost put training weights on myself. So like in Guilty Gear, I play Eno, who's like a very weird oh, character who doesn't have a dash. She flies instead of like having a traditional run. So it's like she has the ability to kind of instantly use aerial attacks, which is really strong. But you go to another character and it's like, oh, this like the game is so much more simple than I've been making it by playing this weird character who has to follow these rules uh versus like someone like kai in guilty gear who's like basically ryu 
Yeah. Uh, and so you're like, oh, this game could be so much easier to play if I just played any other character. But I always dra- gravitate for we're like, how am I going to make this game as hard on me as possible? Because Eno's one of the hardest characters in that game to learn. I like that. Yeah, it's made me think of uh, not fighting against, but think of like uh, RTS stuff. Like, you know, with StarCraft 1 immediately, I was like, I'm Protoss. I'm all in a Protoss. I-, I couldn't imagine being anybody else. And then it was like, you know, after years of playing StarCraft 1, I was finally at that level of like, I I just want to understand what I'm working with the Zerg. Because, like, fighting the Zerg for so long, I really don't understand, like, the basics of what's going on in that freak system. And But then, like, it, of course, just elevated the game to realize, like, oh, my God. I mean, I know it's the basic thing of StarCraft, but, like, it feels like a completely different game. And it is so mm-hmm. cool. And it turns out it's really fun to have a game that you already love. And then just, like, by the way, there's this whole third of the game you should probably experience. And it's playing from a Zerg point of view, you know? Yeah, it also makes you better. Because yeah. if, if you're playing online for, like, Street Fighter Six, for example, and you're seeing, like, this guy's just doing this thing and it's just beating me every time. I don't understand how you're supposed to be able to counter it. Like, the best way to counter it is to just use that thing like go into matches using that technique and see what how players respond to it so like and that way you can see oh this is how you're supposed to th- I'm, i got my ass kicked and this is why so then you can go implement that game plan once you're once you encounter it yeah uh john lee writes in says salutations clcs uh how have the last five years changed the way you view and evaluate games i understand the last five years has been weird for everybody here mm-hmm. mm. uh what about you, Jason? Um, I think, it, well, it's been more than five years, I guess. But uh, just to bring it back to fighting games again, like I, when writing it at Game Informer, you know, doing previews or or even a review, it, it's like you need to not dumb it down, but just like you know, try and be as like you know, broad, uh, you know, stroke as possible to to cover as much you know, casual gamers and you know, hardcore fighting game fanatics and stuff. Um, so that's kind of changed my perception, I guess, of fighting games in in, in some aspect. Do you, um, do you feel like that? It's like sometimes uh, I have to play something before embargo, and it really makes you crunch, uh, and and that'll you know sometimes leave a, a bad taste in your mouth too. You know if you if you don't like the game. So yeah, do you feel like you had that a lot at Giant Bomb? Where you feel like you were you're rushing to to play a game for the podcast and stuff? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Week after week. Yeah, that was a that was a thing. And like, you know, on professional Fridays, we'd have to bring something cool and goofy every week. And that's there's a lot of pressure in that, you know, because you're trying to one up yourself every week. Uh, And it just it just doesn't you got to get out of that mindset. But um, yeah, my my professional gaming uh, perception and uh, the casual are two very different things. How has it changed uh, after Giant Bomb then? Uh, I've put more time into Legend of Zelda. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whereas, Same. you know, I, I may have played it, you know, for the podcast or something like that. Tried to cram in as much as possible. Gotten frustrated with the, the, the temples and the shrines. Um, but this, I'm just, I'm taking it at my own pace and I'm, you know, just, uh, yeah, taking it at my own pace, I guess. Yeah. yeah be, being able to just say like, I'm not going to worry about, you know, every other game coming out because i have zelda and like being able to take your time with it i think definitely like i i went i've i went back and played breath of the wild this year and kind of took it like one hour a day basically while i was on my exercise bike and that i definitely played more of it and i like it a lot more after this playthrough because i didn't have like other games uh to to kind of like say well i need to talk about all these other games and like i have a review coming up right and so taking your time with games definitely has been a huge way that like, Oh, I can just do this now. I don't have to rush through stuff. Um, when you're, uh, oh, when you're ahead. consulting cereal, 
like you know don't get into specifics and stuff but do you feel like that's kind of a refreshing thing compared to review like are you diving into the systems and kind of relaxing a little bit more when you're consulting on a game and offering feedback compared to like review like i got the system time to move on but you kind of get to chew on it a bit more when you're consulting uh, it's it's actually pretty similar to reviewing stuff yeah. because you do have deadlines on like okay we need to have like uh because sometimes you'll do a thing where you're you have like an initial like call or report that you have to do like play the game for like three days and that's basically give us your impressions and then you have like a week and a half to kind of get through the the entire thing and sometimes these games can be pretty long um and so you are kind of cramming and it can kind of be worse because sometimes they won't be finished and so they'll have like documents of like okay make sure you get to this point and then after that you will need to load this other save or like make sure you don't do this very specific thing that's core to the game because right now it breaks everything so make sure you don't do these things so actually there are more restrictions around it but it, the the actual writing is kind of easier because a lot of the times you don't have to think about, I got to work on an intro and like make sure that this is entertaining. You're just listing like you kind of get to go all in on like here is every like, positive and negative that I have laid out bare. And that's exactly what the developers want is yeah. to give me all of your issues. Give me all of your like things that we should do. Right. Um, so like you you do you don't have to be like as like entertaining as a writer almost um it's just the like process the, is kind of similar yeah like the game spot reviews of like list of pros and cons at the bottom like, that's all developers really want just give us the the beats here yeah and you also you sometimes they'll like specifically ask for recommendations for like what do you think we should do uh and that's that can be interesting and fun because it's like okay i might actually get to influence the development of this game right uh but like in terms of other ways that i've kind of thought about games recently is like the from like a critical standpoint is that you don't necessarily have to be that like games like old school game spot because they definitely changed their approach recently but uh the idea that i a review is not like here's everything about the game and here's what i think one way or the other like i i like coming to critical writing with with a stronger thesis of like this is the important thing you need to take away um and in like in the last five years, I think um, places like Waypoint specifically, who like rest in peace, uh, have have opened up dialogue about like things outside of the games themselves that are important to talk about things like labor and culture issues that I think they've definitely pushed the conversation about. Like these things are not things that are separate from the game. They're part of their, you know, their cultural life cycle. And we should talk about that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of been across the board. But I think that stuff has definitely you run into issues where there's discourse around games and stuff. But I feel like that stuff is more openly talked about where it wasn't, you know, even five years ago. Yeah. Uh, Ian Miller wrote in to say, hey, everybody, Um, I was let go from my lifeless corporate job today. It's both a blessing and a curse. Now I have the free time to focus on my YouTube channel, but now I don't have insurance. Yippee. Oh boy! Since you're all successful internet folk, I wanted to get your advice on how to move towards entertainment as a career, as volatile as it can be. With games, media, and the YouTube landscape already being as saturated as it is, how would you recommend someone stand out or get more involved? I'm fully aware of an ungodly amount of luck is involved, but there has to be something concrete people like me can do, right? I can't go back to another boring desk job, and I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Thank you all for making stuff. It, in turn, makes my day. Thanks, Ian. Very sweet. Uh, my instinct reading this is sweet Jesus. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? But I don't know if anybody has a better take than that. Yeah. I, I, I lost my job as well. And I'm still looking, uh, it, this is a volatile market right now. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, please keep this as your side gig. Yes. Um, 
and get insurance. <laughs> I, I know that's the uh, less than popular answer, uh, but um, it's not as fun. But yeah, uh, I, I think it can also help the actual work because I think I was never more productive uh, than after I got a job uh, because it felt like I didn't like I hadn't put all my eggs into like the the content bucket. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so you could say like, what do I want to do versus what do I feel I have to do to be successful? And that ended up being like, okay, I can actually do stuff. I don't have to worry about making this my livelihood. And I don't, I don't have that pressure to kind of, you know, make this my all encompassing thing. I can just kind of focus it on it as a side project. And that, that helps alleviate some of the pressure, which lets you take more creative risks. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're, if you're just banking on blowing up on YouTube, I mean, Sure, if you become a Jacob Geller or Leo Vader level rock star on YouTube, maybe there's an option there. But like, we're incredibly, incredibly lucky at MinMax. And like, you know, looking at it, we made $900 on YouTube last month. I mean, if that's enough for you and you feel like you have a good chance of getting as lucky as we are, then I guess go for it. But yeah, relying on that it sounds horrifying uh, to me. So keep it as a side thing uh, and then be flexible. You know, if yeah. one starts taking off then you can put more effort into that and Yep. It seems like the best way to go. Find I find your niche as well. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. but uh, like I was lucky in that uh, I had streaming as a background, and that wasn't a really popular thing uh, when I first got into the industry. So that that was something that that I was able to you know bring to the table that that other people probably didn't have. Um, yeah. So yeah, find find your voice and and uh, you know what you like talking about and uh, what you like doing. Yeah, stick with that. I, I think it. I think it kind of folds into all of this, but like being able to focus on what you're really excited about and what you're interested in and not being in that mindset of, okay, well, what's, what's popular? What, you know, like right. how I, I got to do what's popular because that's, what's going to, you know, get me all these viewers and that's, what's going to bring the money in. Like it's, no. it seems like the people who are successful and able to sustain it for the longest time, pick something that they're interested in and their kind of enthusiasm builds a community around that because, because then you're the only person doing that one weird thing that, you know, you're interested in. And, and as everyone else said, like it's hard to, it would be hard to do that kind of thing if that was your main source of income. Yeah. But if, if he's, you know, if your soulless corporation job paid really well, then maybe you have that kind of, you know, buffer and you don't have to worry as much about that. Or, you know, if your if your specialties are are already in something that, you know, is like really valuable in terms of internet interest, then uh maybe that's more of a more of an option for you. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on it as I I mean it's it's kind of absurd for any of us to bank on having your income from come from some kind of other giant soulless corporation where you are at the mercy of whatever the algorithm decides is going to go into people's eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, Jason, what do you want to be doing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I would love to do something in production uh, as well as, uh, I don't know, maybe content hosting stuff. I, and I'm, I'm scratching that itch with, uh, you know, my, my old podcast, uh, interactivedistractions.com. Um, aside from that, yeah, like I can't really do like the old production studio stuff that I that I used to be able to. 
Um, so it, ha it would have to be something remote uh, or at least local here in town in, in Atlanta. So, yeah, um, I'm open to pretty much anything right now. <laughs> OK, but you're, you've cruised around just seeing in Atlanta, like what type of production jobs could I get back into yeah. the swing of things outside of the video game world even? Yeah, a lot of a lot of TV studios mm -hmm. uh, that I might be able to fit into uh, just the openings haven't been there. So, yeah, right on. Uh, Troidal Power writes in and they say, hey, you've, put, uh, you've been put in charge of the break room for an office full of folks. What do you make sure is always stocked there to keep your coworkers happy? Great question. Great question, Troidal. I feel like you asked. You, like, you, you do a, a survey, right? A survey you, for snacks? You, you ask like, hey, what do you guys want? And then you stock that instead of like, because I think sometimes you'll go to into a break room and like, it's just... They assume that it's like, oh, everyone likes oatmeal raisin cookies. And then they just have those. And it's like, no one's using these. Like, these have been here for, like, a month. Uh, I, I, I don't – no one is using them. So, like, better to, like, ask people, do you actually want any of this stuff yeah. versus assuming that, like, what you like is what everyone else likes. It makes me think of that Kirby enthusiasm from, like, a later season where Larry's, like, partnering with somebody who's building at a hotel – and he gets to choose like what the snacks are in the hotel. And he's like, wasabi peas. Everybody loves wasabi peas. <laughs> like, Larry, this is a terrible universal snack for hotels. Uh, yeah, okay, that seems smart. I mean, look, you got coffee. And then mm -hmm. beyond that, I mean, back in your day, Jason, at Game Informer, we had that vending machine, which had a yeah, bunch of snacks. Yeah, we had the vending snacks. machine that guard like autographed on the top layer of dust <laughs> that's right remember that oh that's um, a very normal sentence the vending machine yeah. that guar autographed in dust yeah. <laughs> uh also we had a t big tv in there and uh an ouya set up yes uh, with tower powerfall yep yep it's, yeah that was a long time ago and wow. then and then after you left uh i hooked up like another little mini pc to just like be running whatever was on the front page of twitch and so i'd go in there huh. and like turn it on every morning and, oh no and believe it or not People were annoyed. People complained about Twitch running volume down in the break room. It was like, what? what it? You get to see a second of gameplay while you're filling your coffee. But I remember it was like people were weirdly pissy about it. It always <laughs> blew my mind. Um, but yeah, we didn't really have like normal snacks in the Gameformer office beyond no. coffee. And and can I just add, if I understand coffee is going to be the primary option, but also add tea for the tea drinkers. Okay, okay, like there how, we go. That that was a a game informer thing that just never happened. It's like tea bags are like five cents a piece. You couldn't you couldn't just buy a little box of an assortment of tea for us tea <laughs> drinkers. When, when people come in, you just assume that all the developers that come in are going to drink your coffee. Right. What if they say, actually, we're from Britain, so Meaty Molecules <laughs> here, they all want tea, and we got nothing to give them. I got to go into my own Lipton supply. They're not going <laughs> to want Lipton. Come on. <laughs> and then know. what cbs were they just crawling with snacks over there there was there's some good snacks over there for yeah. sure uh they catered pretty well too so uh and we had multiple vending machines where we could get dollar red bulls which Ooh. is which is amazing Damn. uh yeah that's good those days. uh my name is dan writes and says hey everybody uh i think it's time i think it's time base model controllers for consoles start including additional buttons while spending time playing Tears of the Kingdom, it has become clear that the amount of actions this game wants you to do to perform do not correspond very well with the amount of buttons available to you. Additional back buttons have already been incorporated on third-party and pro-elite model controllers, so it shouldn't be an issue. Not only will this allow players to have more flexibility with the use of a controller, but also could push innovation with game mechanics. Hopefully it's a consideration for next-gen. 
Do you all agree? I feel like mm-hmm. I'm having it with Zelda where there are just a lot of weird tiny control things that yep. I feel like oh, th- this is maybe like one button pressed too many and I just get confused all the time. But I can definitely see like both from an accessibility standpoint of like some people just don't have like yeah. the thumb dexterity to follow through with like the here's how you shield surf in Zelda kind of thing uh, versus just planting it to a single button. But I could see the case for there being like more buttons next time around. It's just like who pulls the trigger on that? Like who like this PlayStation 6 have two extra buttons that they expect developers to develop for? Ugh. It's kind of a tough deal. Yeah, I think just like mapping it onto the Pro Elite controllers, that seems like a good avenue. I, know, I just think of how many people in my life are always already turned off by this number of buttons on a controller, you know, yeah. and like that's always what they have to keep in mind. And I don't know, I mean, I have so many controllers with back buttons. Maybe I'm a noob. I've never programmed anything to a back button. I've never. Have I. I hit them by accident. Yeah. Like if I press something uh, on the face controller, I'll I'll like grip the controller too tight and I'll end up hitting those back buttons. So I leave them off. No. Yeah. Don't don't put anything there. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like this is largely the question is inspired by, and it's the problem is largely Tears of the Kingdom. Yes, and it, you could probably they could probably have streamlined some of that and moved some things around, um, and it and then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But still, that's a, and e- yeah. and e- even if they added extra buttons, like you know, Sony and Microsoft would do it, and then Nintendo's next controller is going to have like two buttons on it anyway and yeah, yeah. uh victor <laughs> fam writes in and says a lot of great fighting games have released uh since the genre's revival with street fighter 4 but until street fighter 6 the only ones to receive over a 90 on metacritic were smash 4 and smash ultimate what do you think separates these games from the pack and makes them stand tall in the genre critically hmm. i i would have expected mortal Kombat like 11 to score better I yeah think. Um, I think it, it, that it had the a, a, yeah a rough launch. Did it where really? like I think there was some tweaking on the like tower stuff that was like oh this is almost impossible, and then like okay. some of the the monetary stuff like the trans like the microtransactions were like pretty heinous. Yeah. Um. So that definitely dinged it. But I definitely feel like yeah there there are fight like I think Guilty Gear should have maybe gotten a ninety or so. But that that's sort of where I'm at with it. But right. um it 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 feels like it falls into that forza thing of like these things are already kind of at this rock solid level that they kind of just have to iterate on and so like reviews kind of tend to skew towards like the content side of it where it's like does this have x number of characters does it have a good story Mm. mode and is the online infrastructure good and like those are the merits and then they're like well I i think sometimes like they tend to defer to like if you know Tekken Seven. If you like Tekken, the fundamentals are still Tekken. Therefore, it's like we've got the, like we can check that off, and then let's t- talk about like the content, right? So there's a lot of like, I think reviewing fighting games is kind of tough, especially because it's like I like the game now, but you know maybe a month from now people are gonna figure out like there's this one thing that breaks the game completely, right? And that that is more important in a fighting game than it is in like other games so i think the reason smash scores so well is because it has all that single player content it it has a ton of characters and it like it has the kind of party mentality that means like oh i don't have to i don't feel like i have to take this seriously to have fun with it whereas i think that's like kind of an expectation for the rest of the genre i mean i don't know i don't know how many people were that wowed by the world of light stuff and ultimate for example it's like it was it seemed fine but you talk about you know the pillars of like ah this is what it needs for to be to, to score well but it's like online is 
nigh unusable in Smash, mm-hmm. and like the single player is meh, but still those games are crushing it critically. But but it's like it's like they put up the front of like you have all these unlockables, you have yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. Like the menus are like there's multiple layers to them, so it kind of gives this impression that this game has everything you'd want, even if like yeah, the World of Light is like a thirty hour mode or whatever. Yeah, that is like you're just kind of fighting in it for a while, and it's like it's okay, but it's not super interesting. And then, like, yeah, it has, like, the basic stuff in the online is bad. Yeah. Uh, Virgil B. writes in, says, I think landing a critical hit from across the map is the best feeling thing to do in an FPS. What is the fighting game equivalent to landing a nice shot in a first-person shooter? Anti-airs, man. Anti-airs. Anti-airs. Yeah. You, you train them into jumping at you, and you smack them out of the air. That's get good. the hell out of here that get down yeah Espe- especially if there's like a specific special move like armika and five had like the anti-air throw that did a ton of damage but you have to you know, like the opponent has to jump at you and then you have to kind of read it uh and so like getting that read of like oh i fired this off before you even jumped and i just i just happened to guess right and i caught you mid jump basically i think that stuff is really fun yeah yep. uh let's see the juan one writes in and says hello crew after the recent news on the Last of Us multiplayer game, um, so there's the news, uh, Bloomberg story that like, uh, they're kind of lowering the development crew on that Last of Us multiplayer game, uh, maybe ramping that thing down in some ways. Maybe it's going through a little bit more of a troubled development than we would think. Um, anyways, Juan says, after the recent news on the Last of Us multiplayer game, are you worried about Sony's decision on the live service route for their games? Because it scares the crap out of me. Uh, so yeah, they've been talking more and more about how they want to push to have more and more live service games for the future of sony overall here um and then the big thing with the playstation showcase last week that we talked a little bit on the podcast is a lot of people complaining out there about kind of the lack of first party games in that showcase and it's like they had the first party games it's just that a lot of those are working on uh live service games everybody so it's just a weird mindset you have to shift to be like i don't understand sucker punch wasn't there naughty dog wasn't there there's no first party games it's like well, there were, but now they're just called Fair Games and Concord and kind of sort of Bungie's games, you know? Like Marathon, I guess, kind of sort of is a first-party game now, even though it'll be on other systems. Um, and so, yeah, Jason, what's your take on Sony moving into the future here? Um, it's always interesting to see where they where they go because they've had such a um, you know history of being very uh, headstrong, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that their way is, you know, the the way into the future. Um, I I don't know if live service games are have much life left in them. Um, I'm I'm hoping maybe not. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think they've done a disservice. I think to uh, single player content with uh, with being live service and battle passes and uh, yeah, you know, DLC feed drips and 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 whatnot. So. Um, I don't know. It, it I, feels I, I like know. they're they're just scrambling for this to be the future based on, you know, where yeah. everybody's spending money and all this stuff. But it's like, you know what it takes to make a hit multiplayer game? Like, I think Sony's going to get its teeth kicked in for like the first decade of trying to make to make a real big push into live service games. And like, it's yeah. interesting, you know, they're they're phrasing for like their the business slides and stuff where they talk about how much they want to grow in the future for having more revenue coming from live service games and add-ons and DLC and all that stuff. Um, and they're like, oh, we have the expertise of Bungie and we can kind of use them to spread to other teams to tell them how to do it. And it's just so weird to think of like the history of like, man, I think it was in Jason Schreier's book, his first one, um, where they talk about the 
really tough development of the first Destiny game and how Bungie had to call in Blizzard and they had like leads from Diablo 3 come into Bungie to it like, hey, how do you do the whole live service thing? We need some expertise here. And now it's so weird to be like, okay, now Blizzard might become an Xbox studio and then you have now the lessons being passed on to Bungie and now Bungie becomes Sony's experts for trickling out to the other Sony studios for just figuring out live service games. It's a weird world, man. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing because like Sony is almost like just going to a casino and saying like we have 10 bets. One of these has to pay off. Yep. And we're almost accounting for like nine of these are going to fail. And that's going to affect a ton of people. Yeah. Right? Both on like the like the labor side of like, well, at some point we're going to lay off like, you know, a large number of these development teams because like they didn't perform. And then the, the one that gets to succeed, you know, I mean, it's probably going to be Marathon uh, is going to be the one that ends up like, OK, here's our life service game. Right. And then everyone else is like, well, we tried to pivot to live service and then that didn't take off for us. So now we have to pivot to something else right yeah. so it's like it's frustrating to see them do that because you can kind of call that shot ahead of time um and like it's i think for a lot of sony fans it's like the reason we liked you is because you were you felt like the bastion of single player games that felt like they spoke for you know on their own and obviously a lot of it is because we're kind of in a cool down period right they sony santa monica just released god of war ragnarok obviously they're not ready to show their next thing yeah um but like yeah with the last of us it feels like yeah, everyone liked that mode, but it's like I think most people would say that they would rather have Naughty Dog working on like whatever their next big thing is rather than like struggling to kind of follow the live service model. Yeah, and and, and yeah. everyone liked that mode is very generous to begin with. Um, oh, yeah, in terms of like uh, who there's defenders. How many people played it? I, I, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure yeah. there's defenders, but yeah. the the overall like. Breakdown, when people yeah. think The Last of Us, yes. How many are thinking, oh, yeah, you mean that great multiplayer mode? Leo Vader. Uh, it, 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 feel, it feels like everyone I, – I wish, I wish when, when corporations were figuring out if they want to do live service, I wish they would just eliminate Fortnite from, from their brains and then, like, reevaluate because that's such a, a – like, a – a magical, you know, perfect storm of they absolutely hit the jackpot with it, but also they're still there and doing it and so established of so like don't expect all of the Fortnite people to run to your new flash in the pan live service game. This this feels like like a mistake that Sony should not like I understand it when so many other, you know, rinky dink developers make that mistake of like, oh, Fortnite's Fortnite's amazing. Look how much money they're making. We need to make one of these. It feels like Sony shouldn't be the ones doing it. Um, it should be but smarter I, than that. And and I wonder how quickly they pivot off of that. That that's like whenever whenever a com, you know a company or a console maker announces this big new initiative, it's like countdown to realizing it's not as successful as they had hoped, and then completely changing back to whatever you know, what the next thing is or back to what they're actually good at and what was successful. And like Surreal said, it's it's just a matter of like how many failures do they have to have before they realize that and say, oh, nope, actually, it turns out we, we did a new, you know, we did a new survey and realized people want us to make more single player games. So we're going to go back to doing that. And then they get the messaging push of this fully single player game and the crowd goes wild. But like they've already had yeah. a couple 
quiet failures already because they were uh, funding deviation games. It was like former Call of Duty uh, zombie leads. He formed that studio over there um, and they were making something that seemed like a multiplayer live service thing. And then that got axed and a lot of that team lost their jobs. And there was Final Strike Games who uh, they made Rocket Arena with EA and that game was surprisingly good. Um, and then that one apparently fell through as well. That was a deal with Sony. So like they're, they're already axing a lot of these teams for not quite being up to that Sony standard, you know, which is sad to see. Yeah. And a lot of it, like it, it, they're kind of going into it knowing that that's going to happen, right? Like they're not going into it thinking like, yeah. oh yeah, all 10 of these games are going to be successful. Cause that's like one, the success of one or two of them basically impedes the other ones by saying mm-hmm. like, well, like I'm not going to play all of the Sony live service games. So like they're, they're making a bet here and it's just it's kind of frustrating to see them going into this saying like we've accounted for some amount of failure and that means that like a lot of people are going to be really disappointed both like on the development side and on the uh, consumer side yeah it's gonna be interesting to see like how much of it hinges on because gorilla is making that co-op focused horizon game where it's like hey let's lean more into the monster hunter angle um seeing how that does and then you know if the Bloomberg report is largely crew, true and the, the development of the last multiplayer game is not going well. Like if if those big boys can't make it work, like I do wonder how long Sony will keep pushing in that direction. But well, and and the, it's it's also that mindset of just like, well, let's take our big franchise and we'll just turn it into a live service because right. that's, you know, that's easy. And that's it's they're they're not you almost have to treat live service like it's a genre of its own. And it's like Fortnite is perfectly built for for that weird kind of magic coming together with a bunch of people and getting them to pay for battle passes and things. And it's not just you can't just flip a switch in the back end and be like, okay, now actually you're paying us every month and and everybody's going to be fine with it. And everybody's going to be, you know, it's going to be it's going to work out fine for the game design, you know, and balance and all of those kind of things. Like, I, I think Bungie. Bungie kind of lucked out into figuring out how to do that, you know, for Destiny, but you it doesn't mean you can do it for every every single game and every single franchise that's already established. They had to create right. their own, you know, they couldn't have done that with Halo. They had to yeah. they had to build something specific to to figure that out. Yeah, it's it's like I feel like big corporations are almost like Have you guys seen the the movie uh, You Hurt My Feelings? which is like a pretty recent movie but uh oh, the so like in, in, this one yeah so mm. like in that movie there's a thing they have a fight of over like he the husband gets her a pair of earrings and she's like oh i, I she kind of lies and says like oh i like these so he keeps getting her earrings every year that she doesn't like and so it's almost like that of like oh you say you like this thing of like oh you like the mechanics of this game so you just want to do that forever right for until the end of time right and so they just like what if we just made this infinitely repeatable and it's like no i like at most i like it the one time i don't want this i don't want this to be the only thing that i have for the rest of time and it's like most game mechanics are not that good like even when they're really good right yeah um so i feel like that's the mistake that everyone is making is like you like this just here have an infinite amount of this Man. and like people are kind of iffy on how much how successful that is yeah i I mean on the much more small scale version of that i I was just amazed uh sarah pizorski and i were streaming the lord of the rings Gollum game that won the new show plus pull so we're playing that game and just playing the opening of that game is just like man it feels like they're taking just the wrong lessons from sony design over the last couple of decades where it's just hey it's a lot of climbing 
and a lot of shimming along ledges with, uh, hey, this part looks a little bit yellow, so you can climb there. And it's just like, I, no one, even playing Uncharted, like some of the best of the best, no one's like, I'm so excited to be climbing right now. It's just, it is a thing you do in an overall pretty good game, but I don't think anyone's like, I'm on the edge of my seat looking at these cracks in the wall and climbing up the, it's just, it's the equivalent I, of walking it, in that game. It's just neutral, yeah, but that's the lesson but, other developers are taking. But Hanson, at any point when you're climbing, do you almost fall and like the rocks kind of tumble? <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. We all skipped oh, a beat. That's so exciting. When Gollum just about went down. Oh my Lord. Uh, Procyon number six uh, says, hey everybody, uh, speed running's a weird term, right? Outside of gaming, it must sound really peculiar. No one says this weekend I'm going far hiking and I might wet swim. Mm. Mm. Good mm. point. I might eat cook. Yeah. Eat cook. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. By the way, uh, Sarah and I are going to Summer Games Done Quick uh, right after this podcast recording uh, that's happening in, in Minneapolis. So we're going to swing by and make a little travelogue showing off uh, some behind the scenes stuff there. So look forward to that. Um, Alistair uh, says, hey, Min Max, uh, I was looking at E3 2003 coverage. And I found it funny that in GameSpy's old coverage, they hyped up the Lord of the Rings MMO, some canceled level five MMO, but found that the World of Warcraft MMO was dull and didn't even place in their 25 most wanted. It made me wonder what E3 previews you got the most wrong once released, whether being way better or way worse than you expected. Mm. It's funny. I uh, interviewed Patrick Klepek recently from Waypoint on our channel. It's also on the bonus podcast feed for Patreon supporters. But, um, but just doing Patrick Lepic research, I was like, I need to go back and listen to some old episodes of One Up Yours that he was on, like that old podcast I used to love. And so just listening to their coverage of E3 2007 was fascinating because like Patrick and Shane Bettenhausen on there, both of them were surprisingly down on Super Mario Galaxy. And they're like, oh, it's basically just like more Super Mario Sunshine. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like the just sourness on that game blew my mind. But it's like, I think it just goes to a time and place for Nintendo because they're talking about like how during the big E3 presentation, Nintendo barely touched on Galaxy. It was mainly just, you know, charts of the sales of Wii and focusing on just, you know, grandmas are enjoying this game. And like based on the big presentation, it was barely a dabble into the specifics of what Mario Galaxy was, which just blows my mind now. But yeah, and I think that kind of fed the narrative of like, oh, Nintendo's done competing, like the playing the traditional console yep, race. Yep. Like, oh, they they just the you know the we being two GameCube duct tape together thing of like, oh, they're just they're going for waggle stuff, and like they're not they're not competing with the big boys at Microsoft and Sony, and it turns out like that was a hundred percent the right move, right? And saying right. like, yeah, we have this Mario game that's gonna be the one of the best Mario games of all time, but like, but we have Red Steel also, yeah, right, right. Uh, but yeah, is there a preview that stands out for any of you being completely wrong in a certain direction? Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by Monster Hunter World. Ooh. Like, I, as excited as I was for that game, I was so afraid of of that game failing because you could tell how much effort they were putting into it. And, yeah. Uh, this was going to be, you know, their reach into, you know, the casual uh, layman market, you know. Right, and, right. And uh, I just I held my breath like even uh, Brad and I went to Capcom to to check out that game ahead of time. And I was silent, dead, just <laughs> dead silent in there. I'm like, this is this is secretly my favorite thing in the world. Um, so I was I was very surprised that it, that it cracked into so many people's like top tens and whatnot. Yeah. Was, so after the preview, were you not feeling like it had that much of a shot? I, to I told Brad that I almost cried. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, because you were so happy? 
Yeah. I was oh, laughing. okay. Okay. I, I thought you were worried about it still. Okay. Oh, no, gotcha. no, no. Uh, I guess the the closest to that would be um, Evolve. Yep. Yep. That's a big Evolve was. And, and I, I mean, I, I still feel like that what ended up being a good game, but it's, but it's like, it, it had a bunch of problems with microtransactions trying to, you know, like launch microtransactions, um, which it fairly got dinged for. And it's, it's just like, people didn't want to, <laughs> people didn't want to play it. it. It, there was a good, there was a good game there, but, uh, but I think we learned that like a four V one type of game just, just doesn't, doesn't hold weight for a lot of people. Just people don't, people yeah. don't want to play that type of game. Um, and I would say now I, like, Oh, maybe if it's like on game it. pass now, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know if back for blood was lighting up the playtime charts even, you know? Yeah. That, that, that one's even more confusing. It feels like turtle rock is just cursed at this point because that, that was like, yeah, yeah. Go back to left for dead. That's what you guys were good at. And then right. they made one of those. Um, and then I don't know. I'm at a I'm at a different point. I'm a I'm a dad now. I don't have time to play those kind of games and get like a bunch of people together. But I don't know what everyone else's excuse was um, <laughs> for just not being interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I was like that with Artifact, where I was like oh, yeah. pretty sure that like oh this is going to be popular and there's like some rough spots, but then it like they vastly miscalculated how how averse people were going to be to actually paying for the cards individually. Versus like and not and there not being like a free progression track, but like when I played it for a while and then I like that was in 2018 like the game that I couldn't stop thinking about where I was like oh man I can't wait for artifact I'm so excited, and then like playing it it's like I played it for two weeks and I was like this is pretty good and then seeing like that fall off of like no one is playing this so sure. weird seeing like I've never seen a company at this scale fail this hard and I remember talking about it on the Game Informer show and being like I mean. How many games has Valve released? Like, they're not going to release this thing unless it's going to work. And then just, right. I feel like it's just, it's a historical oddity now. Like, yeah, remember Valve? They were pushing really hard on this whole new game yeah. not too long ago, and it just and, whiffed. And I will still stand by, like, the design of the, like, actual game, I think is real. It's one of my favorite card games that I've played. But, like, yeah, just, like, it, it goes to show you how much the, like, the stuff surrounding a game can be as important as the actual thing uh itself because that yeah it was a bummer but like i totally just totally understand like oh i don't want to play artifacts you have to pay for the cards it's like yeah that's totally fair god it's so wild uh i can't i can't wait for sony to go all in on collectible card game live service (laughs) i have judgment all over again let's get the camera out the little stand what if it was vr yeah psvr2 oh yeah equal remember they made shuffle the deck yourself Mm -hmm. they made that uncharted card game for vita Remember that? What? No. Yeah, they totally tried <laughs> it. Uh, maybe they uh, could revive that in some way. Uh, Grizzled Metal Gaming. Exit 3. Oh, can you imagine? That's all we need. Uh, Grizzled Gaming wrote in. They said, hey, gang, uh, Ben, as a fellow fan of Mary Tyler Moore, I'd love to get your brief thoughts on the Being Mary Tyler Moore documentary that's now on Max. Not HBO Max, but Max. And not Min Max, just Max. Um, yeah, you better believe I watched that immediately. I was, I was very excited for that. Um, it was interesting because like, I love Mary Tyler Moore but it's for the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then like, I watched a fair bit of, you know, uh, Dick Van Dyke show growing up. So like, you gotta love her in that. She's amazing. Um, but like I hadn't, I, I would see her like as a guest on late night talk shows as a kid, I guess in the nineties, but never really locked in. Like, I don't really have a sense of what her journey and her path is beyond Mary Tyler Moore show. So that documentary is really helpful for just like, yeah, she had a whole life after that. And it was 
very sad and very rough. And believe it or not, there is uh, some alcoholism in there. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating documentary and it was nice just to have more of a perspective on her as a performer because it's awesome. I mean, this is maybe a cliche for every documentary is to be like, by the way, that smiley person, they were actually sad, but like they get into that a lot. And I love, they had clips of people talking to her after she got sober, uh, specifically, but there's a lot of people talking to her like, yeah, you, uh, when we used to talk, Mary Tyler Moore, you were kind of a a bit cold. Um, it's everyone kind of dancing around like you were a monster to work with for a very long time. And a lot of it was just, she was so focused on her career and making sure the show was good that a lot of other things in her life suffered, which is brutal because there's so many parts of the documentary, which are fascinating where it's like, you know, just some misogynistic, uh, interviewers being like, Mary, how can you be a woman and focus on your career and have a kid? It doesn't make sense. Right. And it's like, well, no, actually you can do it. But then, like, by the end of the documentary, there's a lot of her talking about just like, yeah, you know, probably could have focused on my family just a little bit more. So it's a really messy, complicated story. Uh, but I very much enjoyed it. Uh, also, just, just this is an editor's dream is to have such a weird coincidence. But there's an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show um, where Betty Ford, like the first lady at the time, calls Mary Tyler Moore because there's an episode where she's in DC. So it's like a weird political cameo in that show of like Betty Ford, everybody is on Mary Tyler Moore. So like having the footage to cut to when Mary's talking about getting sober and it's literally her going, yeah. hello, Betty Ford. Nice to meet <laughs> you, Betty. It's like, you know, in the Betty Ford clinic and all that stuff. So it's just bizarre. Uh, anyways, uh, Villist writes in and says, greetings, fellow cohorts. Were you aware that now with the DLC of Forspoken being out, one of the updates they did was to make it so that the flying cats in Forspoken that you collect constantly, they all hover and accompany and help you collect items. Does the notion of a flying cat companion change anyone's desire to play Forspoken? Yes, it does occasionally meow and it'll confuse your cat in real life, but now there are an insane amount of flying cats in this game. Sign me up if yeah. I wasn't on Forspoken before. Yeah, give me a flying cat and I'm in. That sounds good. Um, so, I Man, there is still a large part of me that wants to go back to Forspoken. I have yet to try it. Yeah, I okay. keep hearing uh, just polarizing stuff about it, uh, even after you know it's it's been patched up and, and whatnot. So. Yeah, it was pretty I rough wonder. on PC, but I, yeah. eh, Jeff, do you think? Do you think it'll come up in the two tens? Should I should I dabble with this thing? I'd still need to scratch uh, that itch, I yeah, feel like. Dabble. Okay, dabble. Dabble I, a bit more. I enjoyed what I played a bit more than I thought I would. And it is it's it's ninety percent because it's just a weird, unique game. Um and which is which actually turns out is a great thing for open world single player games. Like yeah. we could we could use more that kind of stray from the you know like preset notions of what uh an open world game should be and also just like what characters should be and what story should be it's it's all it's all gone through like kind of a weird filter and come out right completely different than anything else out there and and i appreciate that and i still think she's a cool character even though you know she got dragged for swearing so much and you know kind of being sarcastic or whatever but like I guess they put. You're not going to play yeah. an, a a game with a with another character like that. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's definitely one of those games that I think got overtaken by its like the conversation around yeah. it. Yeah. So I'd be curious. Yeah. I think like towards the end of the year, I'd be curious to see that if there's like a resurgence of like. All I heard about this game was like this, this, and this, but I played it and it's like 
I don't know that that gave you like the right impression of this game. Totally. And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think it's totally going to, I don't think it's going to be like a thing where actually this game's a masterpiece, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I can definitely feel like a lot of people were just like, Oh, people are talking about this game and it's got, you know, there are, here are clips of this character talking and like, and being quippy, I guess, never mind, Right. So, yeah. Yep. And I guess they added, uh, like, uh, just a slider. So you can choose how talky people are in that game and how mm-hmm. quippy they are in the open world. So maybe that'll add to the fuel, but we'll see. Uh, all right, Jason, I hope you're paying attention more than anybody else on this podcast. Oh boy. Favorite question of the week, man. What stands out? F- favorite question of the week, I yeah. think is, uh, the first one game of the year pick of game yours of the- that got snubbed. All right. You guys sign off on that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. There we go. Tanner <laughs> Hoisington. Congratulations. You just won manifold garden on Nintendo switch. I'm eight bit. We'll ship that to your gosh darn house. Uh, now it's time for something that we like to call Get a Load of This. All right. Uh, let's see. Jeff, have you got one, dude? Oh, I got one. Oh, Get yeah. a load of this. Um, we went We went an entire podcast without talking about Tears of the Kingdom endlessly. So mm. I got I to bring it up now. Um, this is a video from Paradox Gaming. Um and it's it's uh, the 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 title of the video is not important. Basically, he he built a contraption that it uh, spins around really fast and will launch you. He has a video of him launching himself from the depths all the way up to uh, the what? sky island by standing on it. He, he basically took uh, like a turbine generator that's in that's in like one shrine, and you can you can break that off. And you can use you can use auto build to basically rebuild it anywhere. Oh. And so he took that, he put a board on it. It makes it spin super fast, and then you freeze it, you know, with recall, and you get on it. And then uh, when you un when you, it unfreezes, it basically launches you up in the air. Forever. That's so uh, good. And it only costs like six zonite to to auto build anywhere That's, you anywhere oh. you are. All right, that's cool. Links so. below for all this fun stuff. By the way, uh, The Deepest Dive, the third episode covering the southern half of the map in Zelda is happening uh, on Monday. How you doing there, Jeff? Uh, I'm dreading that like every blood moon. That's, <laughs> I'm also, that's I'm also I feel like, oh God, I've been playing so much other stuff. Uh, there's a lot to get to, but we'll, we'll oh, be talking. I've, I've just been playing Tears of the Kingdom, but it's still like, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I guess. I'm yeah. on the crunch that Jason was talking about and now I'm stressed out, and now I hate the game again. Oh, sorry, Tears of the Kingdom, you'll get no love. Anyways, uh, but you can submit your thoughts on uh, the game over on Patreon if you're a supporter at any tier on uh, June 4th on Sunday, and then we'll read it for that discussion. Um, hey, get a load of this. Look, I know on this podcast and on Party Chatter Bonus Podcast, I've I've complained about actors and my thoughts on actors, but this actor did something good, and let's all celebrate that. Uh, Karen Gillan, uh, she released this YouTube video that's just like basically a travelogue style. It's her filming with her iPad, weirdly enough, just on the filming of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And like, you know, if you're somebody out there who likes making ofs for movies, but especially for Disney stuff, it's a little too slick. It's a little too polished. Um, I really enjoyed this video because it's just like, hey, here's like what a week of filming for Guardians of the Galaxy 3 looks like. Here's what time I have to wake up. Here's me interacting with my driver. Here's the makeup artist. Here's how this works. Here's what it looks like on set for me. And then I have to go and take all this makeup off again. If you're just into like the nuts and bolts of like, what does it look like to be in a movie that huge and something that actually humanizes the actors? Uh, you can check it out. So there's a link below for this tour of the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 from Karen Gillan. And now I 
I feel bad because one time at Game Informer, I turned down an interview with Karen Gillen to have oh, her on the Game no. Informer Show podcast. Cause I'm like, I don't really know who that is. I don't watch Doctor Who. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, she's seems like a very sweet person. Uh, Serial, you got one? Yeah, uh, get a load of this. I also have a Zelda thing. Ooh. Uh, this, yes. this, is, this is information you can use. Uh, well, technically, okay, so it's for Breath of the Wild, but I imagine it works the same way in Tears of the Kingdom. And the video is called Clearing Up Breath of the Wild's Biggest Misconception. Uh, the shield stats. Uh, so you know how, like, shields have, no, like, numbers attached to them, yeah. right? And obviously, like, bigger is better. But this video breaks down like how bigger is better right and and like how you know what it what that number actually represents in terms huh. of like how different attacks kind of drain durability and you know like how that affects parries and blocking and stuff and it's like it's like 10 minutes but it's it's pretty informative um if you want to if you want to actually understand like how do shields work in this game uh it's a pretty pretty good video love it jason what do you got man we found a cockroach oh my wife my wife woke up in the middle of the night flailing about because she, she thought – well, she dreamed that something was crawling on her. Turns out there was. Oh, no. <laughs> we had a cockroach in the house, and it was a live one, obviously. I mean, but it, was, it wasn't slow moving. We've, we've got a bug guy that comes and sprays for stuff. We, we've got like a nice set of woods out back. So it's not like completely out of the question that we get a cockroach. But I learned that um, the bigger they are, the better it is. Because the ones that really infest uh, and are hard to get rid of are the small ones. So if you find a big cockroach, it's less to worry about. And that's like a breed? The, like you want, they'll, they'll give I, birth to big cockroaches? It's not a matter of like I, age, like a tortoise I or guess, something? Oh I guess God. so. I, I, I noped out of the conversation <laughs> after I learned that. Oh, oh God, I hate that. Uh, Jeff, you got a bunch of spiders in your house? Uh... Not like an unreasonable amount. We're of nearing that in our house, and I I don't know what to do about <clears throat> it. Is it just you just live with it? Well, I mean, the spiders are killing all the other insects. That okay. Are in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, so I should. They're all right. All right. With that logic, I should import just buckets of spiders into my yes. house. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that sounds good. I'll sign uh, you up for the spider box of the month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you got one from the community in the Discord channel? I do. Get a load of this. This one uh, is from Neil Smith. He said, this is a great video. The highlight topic is coffee, but it speaks broadly about taste, flavor, aroma, preference, where these things come from, and how they interact. Uh, the video is from a YouTube channel called Aramse, and it is interesting because it it's a, it's a you know, like coffee fanatic uh, YouTube channel. So so they are talking very much about coffee. I realize there's a whole world uh of like coffee raiders and all kinds of things that they also go into. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of the conversation is just about like, how do we decide that something tastes good? Um, and it turns out there's many factors, including what, what your mom ate when you were, when she was pregnant with you. Really? Um, yeah. And so it, it all kind of uh, like develops your palate before you were even born. And then where you're living also affects what you think tastes good and what, doesn't uh the the two people who run it um are indian and so a lot of what they're talking about is like hey in the coffee world a lot of like sensibilities of what is good and what is not 
comes from, you know, the Western countries, like 36% of the, you know, like coffee testers who give official scores are from America. And so they kind of skew everything. Um, And so it's, it's really interesting. Even, even if you're a tea drinker like me, (laughs) all right, all right, all right. bring up tea but you, yeah, you just want a, them to make videos about tea also right like just as exactly if you're, making, if you're making videos about coffee also make them for the tea people just just as an option think of the tea option. people uh links below for all that fun stuff uh jason thanks for joining Yo. us dude hey you're welcome thank uh, you what do you want more than anything uh for people uh, watching and listening what should they do with their lives to help support you uh check out interactive distractions.com that's where me and uh four of my other friends uh it depends on the week uh get together and we just talk about games and our lives and what we've been doing uh our tagline is so many games so little time and uh that's never been truer uh than it is now in our lives so yeah um we've got a nice uh, discord community as well um come on in check us out Sweet. stay a while listen yeah, yeah. And if people have a remote focused video production job sitting there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Hit me up in my DMs. Uh, just tweet at me something. I don't know. Just get at me, please. <laughs> All right. There's contact info in the description for everybody. Serial, uh, you want to plug anything, man? Yeah. I have a, a YouTube channel uh, where I've been writing video essays. Uh, my latest one is about Resident Evil 4 and all the, like, all the different re-releases and how they've changed and kind of evolved our perception of that game um and then i also you can find that at just like google my name on on youtube uh just there's like one serial who's like more popular i guess he's like a singer or something but if i think if you type in serial v i think you'll get my channel um the other thing i want to plug is i started a podcast about the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom yeah where i play it the same way i've been playing breath of the wild for one hour every day and I talk about basically as, as much as I can about everything I do. And then I'm also playing another Zelda game kind of more casually along the way uh, in case anything. If if the Tears of the Kingdom part gets too boring, I'll have something else to say about Zelda. Uh, so right now I'm playing. I'm about to finish up Wind Waker. So that's nice. just a. it's kind of like a travelogue for a game. And so it's just like this weird thing of like, here's what I did in in the game. And like, I've been taking it very slow. I've been playing for 25 hours and still have not found auto hand. So it's, it's that's the kind of playthrough I'm having. So Jesus. Uh, check it out. Sweet. And what is it called? Uh, every week I'm in tears. Sweet. There we go. Links below nice. for all this fun stuff. <laughs> uh, let's see. At MinMax here, uh, if you're listening to this or watching this uh, right when it went up on Thursday, uh, tonight, if you follow us on Twitch, 7 p.m. Central, we're having the uh, the screenings of the community's short documentaries. Uh, all this month, uh, throughout the month of May, we had an event called Doc Lightning, where we encourage everybody in the community to individually make a documentary just with their phone, simple stuff that's under three minutes long. Um, I had no idea how many people were going to do this, uh, but... As of right now, and there's still time, I think we have we have like 16 people who submitted a short documentary. So we're going to have a whole screening on Thursday on Twitch, and then it'll be up on YouTube channel the next day for checking out everybody's documentaries. One of the reasons I've been busy is I was shooting and editing uh, my own little three-minute documentary that I promise you won't be able to guess the topic of. It's going to be very strange, but hopefully you all Mary enjoy Tyler it. Moore? Yeah. <laughs> it's, okay. yeah. It's just me uh, licking the screen, watching Spiders. old episodes of Mary Tyler Moore. It's really cool about stuff. the psychotic about you watching. <laughs> it feels very close to that. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody who contributed to that. Hopefully it's a fun time. I am confident based on the titles of the YouTube videos that people have been sending me that this is going to be a treat. So you can check that out on YouTube if you want to see what this community has been building. And speaking of community and building, uh, we have 
have a community meetup. If you're listening to this or watching this uh, very soon after it goes up, we have the community meetup happening Friday, June 2nd at the Mall of America. So if you're in the Minnesota area, uh, you can head to Wisdom Gaming Studios at the fourth floor of Mall of America. You don't need to be a Patreon supporter to swing by. You can invite uh, whoever else you want. We're going to be playing Smash Brothers. We have a whole tournament set up there. Probably some Street Fighter Six as well since it's going to yeah. be a launch day. So it's going to be a good time. Come by the Mall of America if you're in the area, you're in town for uh, Summer Games Done Quick, anything like that. 8 p.m. Central, Friday, June 2nd, Wisdom Gaming. Swing on by, everybody. Swing on by and say hi. Um, all right. I think that's it. Jeff, have you got anything, dude? No. Cool. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably stream more tears tomorrow. Okay. So, on Thursday. You can watch Jeff on follow us on, on Twitch. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna build another super long stick and stick a Korok on the end of it that I spent like 30 <laughs> minutes doing that in the last stream and people loved it. Sweet. Good times. Yeah, five star reviews for that. So. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for watching and listening, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Jason, Yo. good to hear from you again, dude. Hey, it's, it's cool hanging out with you guys and reminiscing. I, I miss you. Yeah. Yeah. Swing yeah. on by whenever. All right. Thanks so much, folks. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.